as uh, what's his name said. I can't even remember his name. Hello, Bill everyone. O'Reilly. Welcome. It's Bill O'Reilly. Bill, it was a, Bill Effin O'Reilly. Fuck it. We'll do it live. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> <by laughs> <me>. um, <laughs> welcome to another episode of uh, this is not Sunday. This is Thursday. So we're doing Thirsty Thursday. Uh, my name is Matt. Sometimes I go by the grass factor. Uh, my end. And I'm trying my best to be on uh, my good behavior today because we have a distinguished guest and it's difficult for me um to uh, uh demonstrate professionalism in in public settings because i get nervous and my my default to nerves is uh is to is to get uh, uh silly and uh all that fun stuff anyway alongside me we have uh ryan demay ray ito gentlemen how are you and then out of out of left field we are doing something that we haven't done but we've actually been talking about for a really 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 long time and uh and we have an actual uh, not just an actual turfgrass professor, but uh, quite a distinguished turfgrass professor, and so. uh, and someone who has spent their career uh, performing research. And this is how I kind of talked about it. You know, when I was putting thoughts together in my head, was uh, it's not just uh, a, a research that that is out there and known. And uh, uh, this is what I would consider very actionable, right? Especially if you're in regardless of what sector of turf grass you're in, whether that be residential lawn care, whether you're a homeowner, uh, if you're in corporate lawn care, if you're in sports turf, if you're in golf, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, all of this can help you uh, make better decisions while you're out there in the field. And, uh, and making uh, better decisions is something that, you, you know, I think it, at some point in your career uh, in, in this industry, it becomes important to you, right? And uh, and when you're looking for a place to start, you don't really know what to do, and then you 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 start seeing some research uh, that that you can really justify as doing better. Well, we're going to shortcut you there and uh, and give you a a great resource from the get go, uh, and that would be starting with uh, Dr. Travis Shaddix. Uh, sir, welcome to the show. I, I don't I don't know what to say after that introduction. That's like the, the nicest introduction <laughs> I've ever had. Slightly embarrassed after all that. Oh, you don't need to be. I, I so, you know, I think the the thing about you know having a researcher on here, I think, in having uh, somebody who it really, I think, from a a research standpoint, I don't know every PhD in turf that's out there, uh, you know, actively still working, not retired, all that, and I don't know that there is uh, one quite like Dr. Shaddix in that, you know, he uh, has spent a good deal of his career in academia but also uh what many people probably don't know is that he spent probably about a decade in private industry maintaining turf at a high level uh in various settings yes. so i think that real world experience and i think it really does come through in his research and uh in his uh, extension work and i'm excited to learn about it tonight so matt ray buckle up it's our first phd <laughs> on the show and we are all in the dump seat finally. oh is it really it, uh, yes. I believe that's yes, it believe is. That's I'm the first. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, th- yeah. Oh, we've good to know. We've always dreamed of this day. I let me let me just be back up a little bit here on that, Ryan. Is <laughs> is that my, you know you're you're right, Ryan, about the whole ten years in the industry. But in terms of maintaining professional turf, I only actually maintained turf in the in outside of academia um, for about a year or two on sports turf down in Miami. So I mean, I worked on a golf course briefly, but um, the only real you know, turf maintenance where I'm taking care of 
18, 20 soccer fields and football fields and all that stuff. That was only for about a year or two, just to be, just to be completely transparent here. Whoa. The, I, your, your, your humility is appreciated, but I, I promise it's not necessary either. Um, uh, <laughs> okay. the, the, all right. I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to start with just some, some basic questions and then we're just going to com- converse into this, however it goes. And, uh, and so, you know, first things first is I'm always interested to, to figure out why, uh, or how people got into turf grass in general. I failed as an engineer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I thought, I thought, uh, turf crest would just be a, a great, a great way for me to hurry up and get the F out of college and do something that I, I really enjoy doing, which at the time was playing a lot of golf, right. And drinking beer and all the other things that go along with why you need to hurry up and get out of college as quickly as possible before you kill yourself. So mm. what was the, what, why turf grass for you? And then, uh, not just turf grass. Why did you go from turf grass to, uh, uh, t- towards academia, a PhD? Oh, um, well, okay. I'll be as brief as I can. <laughs> I, I, I grew up on a little, in a little town in Oklahoma. Um, and I didn't really grow up on my grandfather's farm, but I, I kind of did. I mean, it's not, I'm not talking thousands of acre farm. We're talking a very small farm, but I kind of grew up out there. And so I was always around that sort of work tractors and you know, collecting fruit and vegetables and, you know, all these things and taking care of stuff. So. I grew up sort of in that environment and my neighbor, I, I was in high school and, and well, let me back up. I was in high school and I would, I went out before, even before high school, I would mow lawns for the neighbors. And then I, when I was probably nine or 10 years old, back in the eighties where, you know, I'd walk up and down the street, pushing lawnmowers and collecting five or 10 bucks to mow a person's lawn. And that's kind of what I did. And then I kind of worked with some people at the church and they, they had their own lawn care business and I helped them and did their thing. And then it kind of just went on from there. And, and, um, then, it just coincidentally, my neighbor had uh, got into OSU, Oklahoma State's turf program when Jim Baird was there. He had just started and he came home from uh, college on, on a holiday or something. And it, it was across the fence, literally my next door neighbor. And, and he and I were talking and he had a brochure from OSU about this turf management program. I'm like, what is that? I did, didn't even know that existed as a profession. And that just got me interested in it. And, um, I, through you know, a very long convoluted story, I, I ended up going to OSU and getting a turf degree. And in my senior year there, I, um, was getting ready to graduate. And I, for some reason, there was a turf physiology or not turf. It was a plant physiology professor. And then there was a, a soil fertility professor in my senior year who, for some reason, I can't explain it. They just struck an interest with me and accord with me. And I, I just, took a lot of um, interest beyond what I think like a normal student would in that, in, in those subjects. And um, I, I realized at that point, I wanted to become a superintendent. I, I was, I was a Carl Spackler fan and I, I wanted to, you know, do the, <laughs> do the, do the superintendent thing. And my senior year, I was like, eh, something else is going on here that I'm interested in. And, and for some reason it has, I don't, I can't explain it. It's kind of like explaining why you fell in love with your wife can't explain it you don't have really any control over that you 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 just do it it just you you become convinced that this is you know who you love and you i became convinced that this is the topic that i'm interested in and and um and i knew i didn't want to go to be a superintendent in my senior year when i was already applying for different positions and looking opportunities and um like it's really really long convoluted story but essentially 
I ended up applying to uh, Washington State, Colorado State, and University of Florida. And I got into all of them, but I didn't realize at the time how graduate school works. And it doesn't really work applying to a school, um, at least in ag, um, as much as it applies to applying to a professor in that school. And uh, anyway, make a long story short, I got in. It's a the whole mess, mess of a story that deserves its own book, probably. But um, I got in and, and ended up going with uh, Dr. Sartain at the University of Florida and, and who, does, who did exactly what I wanted to do and um, in terms of nutrients. And I was really, I was just really fascinated on how you even measure nitrate going through the soil. How does that even work? How do you know that phosphorus is going through the soil and into the plant? I, for some, I just didn't understand how, how, how could this be possible? And, um, and that's what got my interest. And I went down the road from there and that's how I got in. So, um, that's the it's, short it, version. <laughs> so, uh, but, but, but pretty, I, I, I'm not going to say early on, but you made, you, you felt the, the calling towards research even before you graduated. Right. So there was, there wasn't like you graduated and you're like, you know what, let's go, let's go see, let's go scratch the superintendent itch. Yeah, no, I never had. Well, I, I, I did until my senior. I, I okay. I, I grew up extremely poor, very, very uh -huh. poor in Oklahoma. Um, I don't don't you know want to keep score or anything, but it was you can't get much poorer than than we did. And I read an article in U.S. News and World Report in probably nineteen eighty nine or ninety something around the time, and it said people with a graduate with a bachelor's degree over a lifetime will earn about a million dollars more on average than a high school degree. And people with an advanced graduate degree will earn, on average, about a million dollars more than someone with a bachelor's degree, on average. I mean, some of the most wealthy people I know only have high school degrees, and they own their own companies, and gazillionaires, and very wealthy, and very successful. It's not always the case, but I mean, on average, I thought, well, I can play that average. You know, I can probably do that. And so I knew, I knew the finish line was a PhD in my senior okay. years about in, in, in undergraduate work. I knew. I wanted to become a superintendent and then it suddenly changed and I knew, okay, the finish line's not this. I, I need to go all the way, however far that takes me. And, and it, it's a PhD in the world of academia. Well, as far as education, I would argue that PhD doesn't really mean much to be frank. It's much more difficult to be a professor than a, to get a PhD, but it's just my opinion. Well, that's why you're here is to share your opinions, however, however they may they may fall out. Um, so it's it's interesting that from the get go you were like you're like no 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 I'm doing the damn thing I'm gonna go get a PhD. I wish I had that kind of drive and desire. Uh, or or what do you do? What do you do? You mentioned on the phone we broke, spoke briefly where you do some you do fertilizer granulation or something, right? Some do you own your own business? Very little fertilizer now. I do. Uh very little fertilizer granulation now. Uh that was that was iteration one. Uh now oh. it's I just do contract granulation. And so believe it or not, a, a lot of what I do is um uh, uh companies that have found uh homes for various waste streams, either byproducts of renewable energy or uh, yeah. uh byproducts of or waste streams from even like leavening agents, right? Which, you know, obviously calcium phosphate's oftentimes used. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, we'll do the R&D aspect and then up to a certain scale uh, granulation of those products to be able to be introduced into the marketplace and then pass it on to someone else that likes to do it at a really, really big scale where they're doing 30, But 40, you, but you own the company that does that. Yes. Owner, Maybe owner we should operator. Back up, 
Okay, so you own you own your own company. What what about Ryan? What do you what do you, what do you do for a living, Ryan? Sorry, I am I'm, a. I'm pretty... uh, you're fine. No, 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 no. It's it's good to to, to meet and introduce. So, uh, I own a uh, consulting company that consults uh, okay. anywhere from little league all the way up through professional uh, sports organizations on how to design, build, construct, and uh, manage sports fields. So. Okay. I've been in the sports surf side for about 10 years. And prior to that, I was in golf uh, for about uh, 16 years. So okay. my way up from a, a little little guy weed whacking around trees all the way up to a golf course superintendent. And then I dipped out of that and went to sports turf. So, uh, and then Ray, why don't you go next? Yeah, well, you know, Ray, what do you, well, yeah, tell me about yourself, Ray. Okay. What I do is I do is deal with what Matt, calls precision or high level you know lawn and landscape care for residential landscapes and that's basically what i have been doing for the last i want to say 30 years uh so you do that part, with your own company or you work for a company oh for the first i want to say 17 years of my working life I did that for a company, and then as of 2007, I became totally independent. I, okay, independent so we all, you all three own your own companies, and you work for yourself. Yes. Correct. I, oh. I work for myself. Yeah, uh, we all are. That's, that's, the, that's the best. America's the best. Business owners. I'm telling you. Yes. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm a business owner, and uh, so this whole issue of nutrient management for example i take a high interest in it i take a higher okay. interest in it than your average turf grass or landscape person mm. so uh, what what does what does what you... ipm stand for ray we uh we kind of re redefine this ray did ipm my definition of it is i pay materials fool Okay. <laughs> I pay materials because okay. that that's just uh that's just how a business like mine operates. So I don't have the resources, for example, to waste work or waste materials because that just cuts into my bottom line. Yeah. So I pay materials is basically something that I tell people and I even say that when people try to throw the other definition of IPM on me, which by the way, in as long as I've known that word or that that uh, you know abbreviation, it seems to me that IPM has been twisted into something very different. It's been mm -hmm. twisted. And I take issue with how it's been twisted. And so... How, well, how has it been twisted? What, IPM, as I see it implemented, has been completely anti-pesticide. I see. It's okay. well as it's been implemented, but do you feel that's been that way in terms of the way it's been taught or instructed to those people, or are they or the people who's received it has has 
infer that that's both 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 mm-hmm. dr shadis it's uh, it takes two because you see if because that whole movement needs two parties in order to make it work one somebody with that agenda and then two the on the other side a person that is receptive to that agenda yeah so what i say to that is uh no in my business ipm means i pay materials so we are going to find the most efficient and effective way to get things done and i don't care about somebody's politics either (laughs) and i I think that's a perfect segue (laughs) to to start talking about some of your research uh and um and 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 reason being is like and i i i go towards this i was in lawn care for a long time before i moved into manufacturing manufacturing was one of those things where you just get you 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 have i had a midlife crisis at 30 years old Mm. and Mm. uh if that means i'm gonna die at 60 so be it i'm gonna i'm gonna live to the fullest damn it uh but you know when you Part of moving into manufacturing was was really taking a completely different interest in the the chemistry behind uh, uh, nutrients and fertility, and so you know that was where I came across uh, the um, uh, some of your your work on iron, right? Mm, and okay. I st- I started going back through the years of how many thousand that tens th- hundreds of thousands of dollars I had spent on mm. granular fertilizers and asked for iron to be in them uh, and, and be delivered in the form of iron oxide and think I was really making a difference with what I was doing out there, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. so when I, when, I, when I kick this off and I make mention that you have actually very relatable and actionable uh, research that we can all uh, uh, put emphasis behind, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And okay. uh, for those of you that, that do not know that, I, have, I, I think I have a, an, an exact video about it, but if you ever come across a paper either from uh, University of Kentucky or University of Florida, uh, you will see exactly what we're talking about. And it's mm-hmm. going to go through the various uh, uh, chemistries and uh, derivatives of iron uh, fertility products. And you get to look at exactly which ones elicit various color responses uh, across across different uh, grass types. Well, I think you did you did uh, Bermuda grass in, was it St. Augustine, if I recall correctly? We, uh, we've done... Well, the only thing we published on is St. Augustine grass, I think. And we published a paper on soils, just the soil conversion that was in Soil Science Side of American Journal. I don't know which one you're referring to, but that one didn't have a plant component to it. Um, I, I don't think we published, I mean, we published in you know, public, uh, what do you call it, a trade paper on Bermuda, but we didn't publish it in the scientific journal. So yeah, we've done St. Augustine grass, Bermuda grass. Um, I think that's it. Um, but at the end of the day, if, I'm convinced at this point it doesn't make a blip of difference what the plan is. The 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 Soil Science Side of America Journal uh, article, if you you can Google it and find it, that paper is to me the nail in the coffin of granular iron in virtually any uh, agronomic <laughs> setting. Um, so, and basically the nuts and bolts of that paper are if, if it's EDTA, DTPA, or EDDHA, which are three chelates, and by the way, the only three chelates that have been documented and elicited a turf response in university studies, 
But if it's one of those three chelates applied as a granular, then you will, rem there is some solubility from those three chelates, okay, depending on the pH of the soil. But if it's not those three chelates, you, you, you might as well just take the money and take your crew to lunch with it or something. You're, you're wasting, <laughs> you're completely wasting your money by using those granular iron sources, okay? Thank the, you. <laughs> yeah, those really, it doesn't matter if it's iron sulfate. Iron sulfate, you, you can get spray grade iron sulfate and spray it out and see a response in about six hours. Now, I don't, I'm, I'm, I had, I was never able to show if that's actually a metabolic process or if it's just staining the leaf surface. I would argue it's probably a function of both, but probably majority staining the surface of the leaf. But, and so at the end of the day, I don't know if anybody really cares. It's turning the grass greener or darker greener. So whatever. Um, uh, but that, but that same source, iron sulfate applied to the soil becomes insoluble within an hour, within an hour. And I, and I think if, if we broke that up hour up, if it's my limited knowledge of the literature, if you break that hour up, it's more like 15 minutes. So there's no point. And, and even if it is soluble in the grant, in the, the, your blended fertilizer, we, we have seen no evidence that a granular iron source, other than those three chelates, is of any value whatsoever in turf grass management. And even those three chelates, we use EDTA on Princess Bermuda. It took me 80 pounds of iron per acre to get a response mm. from the EDTA, 80 pounds. Isn't, so, it, isn't it, it interesting it, how certain Bermuda cultivars are uh, very, very lackadaisical, I'd say, in just in response uh, to, to iron or even fertility in general, right? So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steer into like Tiff Tough, right? Uh, right. Uh, if, I feel like it's just extremely difficult to elicit any response from. Um, yeah, well. That's... Uh, uh, that's that's just not wrong, and uh, from based on field, uh, you know, observation, when you start putting down high levels of nutrients on tiff stuff, all you get out of that is more clipping volume and not that much more color. Mm. And yeah, we did a little bit of work with that down in Fort Lauderdale, but I didn't, I wasn't able to really get the results I wanted to, uh, before I left. We had some right, tough right, right next to some latitude down there. Right, right. Actually, no, what uh, we did publish a paper on that. We we published a paper. Actually, came out. I think it was like maybe a year ago, and it had all the Bermuda grass varieties. Let me see if I can pull that up. But it had to do with nitrogen requirements of these different Bermuda grass varieties in South Florida. <laughs> and um, it got published somewhere. I don't know. I'm sorry, I forget. I know who published it though. Hold it up right now. Maybe, maybe I can share my screen with you. Well, it's oh, uh, natural requirements of deficit irrigated Bermuda grass, and it was published yep. in. Okay. Uh, uh, Journal of Agronomy and Crop Science. Journal Tell of Agronomy and Crop Science. Tell me that, for example, Tiff Grand rates rather well under conditions of an irrigation and nitrogen deficit. Tiff Grand's in this study. To be honest with you, I haven't reviewed this this paper in a while, so I don't. I, you probably could read through it and find the results quicker than I am. I, I didn't write this paper. Well, I'm the second mean, author well, on it. I'm just but, saying uh, observationally, Doctor Shaddix, that yeah. Tiff Grand to me stands out as one of the Bermuda cultivars. Okay. That performs very well aesthetically and functionally yeah. under an irrigation and uh, nitrogen deficit. Okay. 
it's a very high performer compared to, for example, say 419 or Tifway 2. Uh, other high performer, and I see that at the beginning of the, your paper, is Celebration. That's another rather high performer under nutrient and uh, water deficits. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, I, I only, you know, I, I'm not a, it's kind of weird to say, I'm not, I'm, I'm a soil scientist that happens to work with turf. I'm not a mm -hmm. turf scientist that who deals with soil. So I, I, I do every, I look at everything through the lens of soil. So you, you all mm -hmm. probably have forgotten more about all these differences in species than I'll ever know. In fact, we're writing a paper right now and I sent it to the other author t t just today. And it has to do with all these different species on golf. So I was like, you're going to have to write some of this. I don't know. I don't know all these differences between yeah, all yeah. these different grasses. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so I'll, I'll take you on your word. I, I don't know. I, I, I do know that we, we seem to see these differences among Bermuda cultivars um, change based upon locations and times of year. So for example, well, the yeah. perfect example would be um, like, say, latitude for example where it's dis or even tahoma where it's you know engineered or it's bred in a way that it's intended to be used in a certain transition zone locality climate. Yeah, it, it's, yeah it's a certain so it's a certain locality so that's uh yeah just uh however here's the interesting thing you know from my lens is that the cold tolerant and winter hardy bermudas Mm -hmm. my region they happen to be performing very well in our so-called winter and our so-called winter is short day day lengths uh cloud cover low light conditions in other words and so that just, uh, you know, is something where it performs well, it works well. And, okay. and so I just uh, you know, want to put that out there where, yeah, some of these effects that they're bred for, you are right, they express themselves in different ways in different regions. I mean, that's why, yeah, for example, I do swear by some of these newer Bermuda cultivars because, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Ray loves Tiff Grand. Yeah, I love Tiff Grand. I I will uh, I will raise my hand and admit to that any day. I mean, Tiff Grand is uh, a beautiful grass. Uh, it's a lot more beautiful than zoysia. <laughs> there, <laughs> Doctor yeah. Shaddix, I'm gonna I'm gonna steer us back into your your latest paper and probably the mm. the catalyst for why you're even on here. Um, yeah. And I think it makes more sense when in even Jago commented, he said, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a soil scientist that happens to work with turf grass. Right. And I think, I think that's, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting how your, your latest paper, um, uh, kind of steers into that. If you don't mind, kind of give us a, a 30,000 foot overview of this. And, uh, and, and I'm curious that from your perspective, uh, what was your goal of this? Well, um, first of all, before I go too far down that road, let me just explain the situation in, with this paper in, in general, is that this is a result of many, many people working together 
including a whole slew of people at the GCSA, a whole slew of people at the NGF, uh, myself, Dr. Unruh. I mean, there's a lot of people who played an integral role in this work. Um, so it, it, I'm on the front of the horse on the paper per se, but only because I wrote it. I mean, it's not possible without other people doing doing significant portions of the work as well. Um, so th this concept of this work and this paper, it started back in 2004, 2003, where the, um, the golf associations were interested in having some sort of benchmark number for water usage and then nutrient usage and pesticide usage and land usage and all these things, energy use. And so back 15, 20 years, well, whatever it was, 15, 16, 17 years ago, they, they sent out this survey and they, so they provided that provided them an opportunity to see, okay, what is going on now in terms of the golf courses in the United States in terms of their nutrient use and this today we're talking about nutrients. Um, and then they repeated that 10 years later to see if there'd been any movement in those needles you know, all in time when there's nitrogen and phosphorus and so forth. And then we, and, and that, that study, the first study was done by um, Clark Throssell. I always forget if it was Throssell or Lyman. Lyman was involved early on in some of those studies. But, and then in uh, 2015, uh, Pace Turf did a lot of the uh, writing and Wendy and Larry did all that stuff. And <clears throat> Wendy and Larry, I think, are kind of, stepping into retirement and uh this opportunity came around and i think they um well they can speak for themselves but uh, apparently they were interested in maybe taking a step back and um i think i may be wrong um but i think it was larry that told me that he recommended um, brian and i to do uh this project for the gcsa i mean i don't want to be incorrect on that but i believe if my memory serves me correctly that's what uh we kind of got recommended through larry so <clears throat> anyway we came in figured out if we could do it. We said, yes, we did it. And um, this was really the third iteration of the um, measurement of nutrient usage over time. We, we basically want to know, you know, are management practices designed to, you know, reduce nutrient reliance or nutrient uses? Are they working? Are they not working? Is there any association there? Um, how has the nutrient use changed relative to course closures? How has it changed relative to, um, you know, behavioral changes and facilities that are still operational? And so that's sort of a 50,000 foot explanation of this study, if you want to call it this, this survey, um, mm -hmm. from, you know, from my understanding of it, I, w I just got involved in the last two years on it, two or three years on it. So, yeah. So and, no, I think that, and, oh, go, go ahead. No, you go. You go ahead. I was going to derail us just for a second, and I and I want to get this out of the way ahead, because please. I know there's going to be a million times this just gets asked over and over. And uh, I'm not. I, and uh, Dr. Shaddix, I'm not saying this to to pinpoint a specific product. I'm, I'm. I want to ask you because it gets asked over and over and over. The first one is, what is the best way to fix my soil? I have X soil mm. in Y region. Uh, is it humic acid? Is it carbon? Is it uh, I insert some flavor of the week here. <clears throat> okay. So you want me to answer that question? So I get that yes. question a lot too. And, um, this actually might be a good time, JP, for one of those slides, the pyramid slide. I didn't intend no. to really go into it right now, but the pyramid Perfect. slide explains this probably a little more visually than I can do it. The pyramid slide. So you go, you'll find it. You'll I think it's the first one. Go up, go up. Yeah, first go all the way up. So, or did I remove it? Uh, no, I'm so looking at it. Uh, yeah, so my slide deck. Download it and open it in. Uh, are you looking at it in the browser or did you download it and look at it? 
Uh, give me five minutes, and I will. I will. Here, I'll, I'm just gonna. Yeah. I'm just gonna clip well, it. I'll keep talking. To you. Yeah, I'll okay, keep talking while you're doing. So oh, yeah, basically, yeah, my answer to that question: yeah. How do you fix my soil? My my first response is: Why do you want to fix your soil? Why are you convinced that the soil is the problem? Oh my God, that's because so it takes a lot Sorry. more knowledge and a lot more information for me to be convinced that the soil is the cause of your problem. Because the the risk factors associated with turfgrass performance or quality, there it is. Fertile soil is the least important in terms of, well, not the least important, they're all important, but the least um, common problem. We got we to gotta mm-hmm. look at water, almost always the number one problem. And let me, before I go too far, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say things in generalities, but understand there's exceptions sure. to the rules, even within a course, from yard to yard. But in general, yeah. water is almost always the problem, and it's more times than not, at least on golf, and even in lawn care, more times than not, it's too much water is usually the problem, particularly on putting greens that aren't draining properly. But um, it's not just too little, it's also too much. You know, the light problems little, that occur. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead, mm-hmm. Ray. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Uh, Dr. Shaddix, you are just hitting the nail on the head right here because I frequently get like this pushback from people saying, oh, but uh, such and such person told me to add this to my soil. And mm, I say, yeah. um, no, here's what we need to actually fix your turf area. One, a yeah. chainsaw. And two for the light. <laughs> yes, and then two, yeah. a reconfig of this irrigation system because it's hideous. Uh, putting magic crap on the ground isn't going to do it because right. that is. <laughs> you're that's what I'm you've facing. Been, with. <laughs> you've been in this game for a long time. Then I mean, you know, the you, you're. I, I, I can't. I hate. I don't like to use generalities, but I'm going to do it. And that is, you're, in general, that's the case. Almost, I mean, more times mm-hmm. than not, it's a mm-hmm. water problem. It's a, it, and I don't mean just light from trees, but I mean light due to seasonal changes as well, temperature due right. to seasonal changes as well. Mm-hmm. The turf is a mm-hmm. living organism that's growing in our environment. Yes, you know, we as yes. humans, when a, when a storm front, sorry, when a storm front comes through, mm-hmm. you know, we as humans, our, our body changes. We get colds or we get whatever. I mean, you know, we. All sorts of things change. Imagine the plant. These things yes, change yes. because it's living in the environment. And so mm-hmm. the water, the light, and the temperature um, are mm-hmm. critical, are absolutely critical. And in terms of checking off boxes, you, you know, those are key. And, and we can't do much about the temperature. We can barely do anything about the light. More, But be aware of it. Be aware of those factors. And be aware how those factors affect the stress level of the plant, where now the plant is showing, um, uh, it's manifesting uh, issues, issues that it might not have occurred a month ago. And the only right, thing that's right. changed, you, you go, well, well, so-and-so's neighbor's yard looks great, blah, blah, blah. Well, he has a tree on the, on the north side of the lawn. Your tree's on the south side of the lawn. You're in the northern hemisphere. You're going to get more shade because, you know, because your tree's on the south side of the lawn. Oh, I never thought about that. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, there's... There's a variety oh, of things, right. and, I, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm trying to get yeah. to I'm trying to get to Matt's question, but I'm sorry. It just this is a this is a topic I'm very passionate about. Is that I am a soil scientist by trade. I do this for a living, and it is mm-hmm. almost never the problem when I walk into a course or whoever. 
and I look at their soil test and go, here's your problem. And here's exactly how to solve it. it that almost never happened. <laughs> it, it, it happened. I'm going to show you a, I don't know, <laughs> is that good or bad? I don't know. Um, no, it's, it's hilarious because the, the, the number of times it's like, okay, I, 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 here, here's my soil test. How do I fix my soil? And, uh, you know, is it, do you think I'm, do you think I need to apply mycorrhizae? Uh, do you mm. think, do you think I don't have enough microbacteria, uh, microbiology yeah. going on? How do I stimulate mm. microbiology? It's, it's, a, it's a lot of these different things you hear, or, uh, uh, you know, maybe, maybe my, my soil fertility balance isn't adequate. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and I think actually we can, we, uh, balance yeah. is my, is my uh, trigger word, uh, by the way, like there's what, nothing what that, uh, balance, balance, just balance the soil. I had a, I had oh. a rep tell me that one time, uh, after <laughs> my trigger word. A, a look at a soil test, he said, you just need to balance your soil. Nice. Mine. Mine is actually organic matter. Organic okay. matter. Mine is okay. my, my trigger word is organic matter because honestly, if I were God, <laughs> most of Oahu would get all of its soil pushed back up to the mountains where that soil originally came from mm. and all of that replaced with sand, okay. not dirt, sand. <laughs> okay. What, what, Almost why, why is that? That's what you, you because the, the organic matter. There's why is that? Tell me why that is. Because of moisture issues with the organic matter. Or, moisture issues with organic matter, and the fact that the soil or dirt does not mm. belong there. Because you see, in Hawaii, at mm. sea level, the natural soil media is sand, okay. not dirt. Dirt occurs inland at at upper elevations. Mm. Not at lower elevations. Sand is the natural material that occurs at low at lower elevations at sea level. Okay. <laughs> That's what you prefer. That's what I prefer. Yep. I mean, I, okay. And uh, it's kind of a mind flip for some people because they say, "Oh, but 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 you need organic matter and more CEC and all of that." And I'm saying, "No, we don't need that." Who's saying this? The the, the the uh, the homeowner. Or who was saying well, the homeowners? It's homeowners and, and service providers and the service providers as well. What would be and an example the of the service provider that you work with? I thought you were the service no, provider. I, I'm sorry, I misunderstood. No, I'm talking about the service providers within the industry at large. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay, because they have they have bought the organic matter Kool Aid. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm, they bought I'm it. going I to mean, pull back the curtain here, Dr. Shaddix, <laughs> and let you know that in reality, in reality, where this stems from is that Ray has massive control issues and he wants okay. complete and total control <laughs> over every input and every aspect right. of maintaining every piece of turf <laughs> on every property. Okay. And uh, uh, soil introduces uh, an unknown or uh, a, a degree, a very, very, very slight degree of unpredictability, whether it be through uh organic matter mineralization or yeah. uh, infiltration or whatever the case may be and and then but ray wants the ultimate control it's yeah. it's actually quite fascinating um so in, in your... the... go ahead go you go ahead <laughs> no you go ahead no, I, was, I was just saying That's back on the pyramid thing so you, to answer your question directly and, my, and it's really hard for me to do that i kind of meander through my answer sometimes but the you know what do i do to solve my soul problem or whatever i, I would say I'm not convinced you have a soil problem. So why, why am I trying to fix it? You, you got to check off four mm -hmm. boxes before I get to that box. And those four boxes aren't the same size. Okay. Those are much mm -hmm. more 
prevalent or more common. Um, fertile soil is, I mean, it's obviously, I would say it's definitely important, minor, but it's yeah, minor, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen as frequently, but that's the problem. Now I'm literally, I'm going to show you a slide if we get to it, you know, maybe towards the end where clearly that's the problem, but it took me a long time to diagnose that. I couldn't just mm-hmm. diagnose it from a, from a soil. Well, now I can, but, but back then I couldn't diagnose it from a soil test. I had no, I couldn't figure it out. So I, I would, I would just ask people to exercise some caution when it comes to um, valuing the numbers on a soil test. Okay. The, you know, let's, I'm becoming let's, more let's, convinced let's day by day. Let's move into that. Okay. Do you, uh, Ray, uh, Ryan, you're, you're muted. Uh, unmute yourself. Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, just more of an observation, but if you take that, uh, mm-hmm. put the, can you put the, the slide back up there real quick, JP? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you flip that, invert it, right? Yeah. There's more to sell starting at the bottom of that pyramid if you invert that. Ooh. Yikes. <laughs> Ooh. Your way up. Yes. Oh. Hot take, yeah. hot take, Ryan, yeah. but then that is true because here's the reality is People are more apt to be willing to pay for some kind of magical additive for their soil or introduction of raw organic matter to their soil. But things change when, for example, you tell them you do not have sufficient light to properly grow this plant species, so you got to make a change. Number two. Your irrigation system stinks. Or number three, your hell yeah. Your other factor is you are growing a plant that doesn't do well in the temp- ambient temperatures of this area. And finally, like the last one that I see that I place great emphasis on is you see where you have injury to the turf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to be one of those lawn people or turf grass people where I have weird eyes. I have cataracts. I have astigmatism. I'm nearsighted. But what stands out to my eyes, Dr. Shaddix, is after a mowing or a trimming, if I see shredded or torn leaf blades on the turf grass. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, you're gonna have to be mowing with a real mower, if you're gonna, or a robot. You're gonna avoid. I'm gonna be mowing with the real. Ray yeah, only mows with the real. Oh, you yeah, do. Only Highly you modified go. real. Often do you sharpen yeah, it? Do... <laughs> you sh- Every I'll week. Hear that. <laughs> Every week. How many, how many hours are you putting on that mower between sharpening? Man, good grief. That's. I want to hire you. Less than less than twenty hours. And then it gets backlapped, and the bed knife gets uh, refaced. Do, do you limit? Let me ask you this, Ray. Do you limit the number of customers that you deal with because yes. they've probably been with you forever? Yes. Is that true? Well, they're yes, afraid I, to fire it's, him. It's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true. The guy knows where I live. I can't get rid of him now. <laughs> well, well oh. what I'm saying is, you're, you're taking. You're, there's several business approaches, right? There's three fundamental business approaches, and you're taking the customer intimate, intimate business approach, where you are close to your customer. You do a really high quality job, from what I'm hearing. 
take a lot of vested mm-hmm. interest in time and, and, and passion and pride in your work. Um, you're not the Walmart model where you're just constantly cranking them in and cranking them out, right? So you probably have oh, customers not. that stay with you for a long time and, and you probably yes, limit indeed. them because your time is valuable. Yeah, I, I limit them. And the fact of the matter is, is that I have people telling me, for example, they've never had to pay this much for residential lawn care in their life. Yeah, and they probably never got the quality either. <laughs> no, but then the difference is, is that I answer my phone when they call. Yeah. And I also have a good answer should an issue come up. And, mm-hmm. you know, from the start, again, going back to your pyramid slide, right away, Dr. Shaddix, I deal with the issues that are at the wider part of the pyramid Mm. right away i i address those and identify them and i don't take the approach of for example telling people if we got your soil organic matter level up another five percent you wouldn't have this problem i don't tell people that kind of stuff oh good you know i know i know the majority of my contemporaries in the business do that Mm. to people they do it yeah, that's a shame. Yeah. You know, and then the unfortunate thing is, is that once that's done, mm-hmm. I then have this unfortunate situation where now I need to get rid of all that organic matter in the soil. Yeah. Most of it. I have to get rid mm-hmm. of it because it is undesirable. <laughs> Because I don't, I don't know, I don't name, know if I would want to get rid of organic matter on my end, but I, I, I do, I do have a concern if it's too much and, and you're having turf-related yeah. issues, pro- probably due to excess moisture not being able to move through there. Excessive moisture, know. because yeah, yeah, because because the thing about soil is, here's how I look at soil, and correct me if I'm wrong, I look at soil as a place for the grassroots to go. Mm-hmm. I look at the soil as a repository for nutrients, and I also look at it as the reservoir of water. No more, no less. And so, for example, what happens when your soil, for example, is retaining too much water? What happens? And you know when you say, yeah. And, and you know when you say uh, water, excessive water, mm. sometimes, for example, I can, I can be faced with excessive water if it decides to rain for a week straight. Mm-hmm. Then I'm in trouble, or I can be in trouble. Right? Yeah, you can't control the water. That's the reason. Yeah, there you go. So you can't control the, the moisture at that point. There's too much. However, if the soil didn't have as much organic matter, and if it was yeah. mostly sand... Yeah, that's all what that you want. You want to grow on the beach. <laughs> yeah, all that. Correct. Hey, I don't blame you. Sir. There's a reason why USGA greens are 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 made the <laughs> way they're made is because yeah. the, the the problem is the traffic and the compaction and the water movement. It was just it was too much until the USGA developed that system. So developed um, the it's sand designed entirely around system. water movement, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when, the, I always I always tell people like you can add water. Mm-hmm. You can add nutrients as needed, but what happens when you cannot 
take those things back or remove them yeah. or move them out of the area when there's too much yeah when there's too right. much of it what how, how are you going to act when you cannot yeah, good point get get out get get that get rid of that because for example uh here's here's our weather forecast for the next couple of days i'm expected to get as much as a foot of rain 12 <laughs> inches of rain mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm gonna a, get 12 another inches week of in hawaii yeah just another week in hawaii and so Here's what I know happened. All of those turf grass areas that have excessive nutrients and organic matter that then get hit with that foot of water, mm. most of them develop diseases. Mm. They develop diseases. <laughs> Doc, Dr. Shaddix, with, with this paper here, right? So it's obviously this mm-hmm. is a survey that, that was sent out. And, and we're, we're talking about fertility. And, uh, and obviously with golf courses, we're going to see a little bit of native soil. We're also going to see, see sand-based growing seasons. Um, uh, uh, let's, let's start here. And I, and I want to start here because I think, I think this is the, you know, something that at least a lot of people that tune in here, uh, tune in here because, um, the, the, the first thing they did was they had a soil test done and then they're looking for the next step of what of what what do I do from this point? I've I've have a piece of data in front of me, and I don't know what it's telling me. Other than I've got I've got a pretty bar graph here that's telling me I need to add this this and this and this. But do I really need mm-hmm. to do that? Well, let's let's get even more rudimentary than that, and let's start okay. with uh, uh, soil test methodology, right? Um, because w- w- oftentimes what we end up seeing uh, that's put in front of us is. An ion exchange resin test, for instance. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times in ion exchange resin test, uh, some of the things that aren't accounted for, for instance, is like the, the length of time that the um, uh, ion exchange resin uh, has been in contact with the soil, right? So sometimes it may have been in contact with it for six days. Sometimes it may be two days, limited, of course, by mail and then the time to process, right? And so there's a certain uh, uh, factor of... Um, I, I guess a non-control factor that 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 gets baked in there, right? And so, uh, a lot of times, where they're they're like, okay, all right, all right, I did that, and I've got these numbers, and then you know, yeah. unfortunately, what what we've also had other people do is like, okay, I'm going to send off this other test and have like a melee three extractant used uh, mm-hmm. at waypoint, and then I'm comparing the two, and I have wildly different answers. And then I went to a fertilizer supplier and then they conducted a saturated paste test. And now I've got three different values that I'm working with here. Yeah. And I don't know which way is up, which way is down. Let's talk right. from the most rudimentary level of, okay, it, if it is something I want to do, I, wanna, I want to, to know what it, my, my baseline fertility level is uh, so mm-hmm. I can see that there's nothing wrong with my soil, uh, but mm-hmm. maybe account for something that... Uh, 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 Maybe I can plan my uh, if I need to add potassium at all. I'm trying to run as lean as possible, as cheap as possible on my lawn. I know I can just run urea, but I'm curious, am I at 30 parts per million of potassium or am I at 80 parts per million of potassium? How, what, what kind of soil test are you recommending? Where do you get started on this? Okay. Or, maybe not what you recommend um, let's let's talk about what what you unpacked in your in your in your uh research first let's let's do okay, that well um okay so you want to talk about the okay well let, let me let me first just say this go ahead i 
I don't really know why so many people soul test. I, it, it's bizarre to me that they, uh, I don't know if it's been sold this way or people have some sort of false sense of security in it. Or, I mean, if it's required by law, I suppose you can't do anything about it, but the, the, the soil test itself in, in turf in, in ag, it's completely different. They have mountains of gold over there, I guess. I don't know what they have, but they, they put out papers seems like every other month on calibration numbers and, and sorghum and you know alfalfa and stuff. But, but we don't have that in turf almost ever. So the numbers on a soil test for, I'm, I'm talking specifically turf, okay? I'm not going to get in trouble because someone said, oh, what about soybeans or something? I'm talking turf. The, the numbers are, are almost meaningless except for pH and salinity and sodium, you know, some, some of those numbers that are soil numbers are not plant turf numbers or soil related numbers but you want to talk about phosphorus requirements and potassium requirements and calcium requirements and all these other things i mean i have i'll, I'll say this i i i'm i'm going to publish a paper in this in the fall on sulfur on correlations and calibrations i mean i, I this is what i do for a living and i have almost no confidence in any of those recommendations on a soil test very little with the exception of, you know, like I said, pH and salinity and maybe sodium or something. Now, I, I have I have some general confidence on what sort of the ranges might need to be, but I, I, it, it doesn't, I, it's still not, I'm not that confident in it. And it's particularly recommendations. So you talked about, you mentioned, I'm, you mentioned ion exchange resin and, and saturated paste. So ion exchange resin, I, 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 not convinced yet, but I'm becoming convinced that I think they will be of great use at some point in turf grass, uh, in some point in the future. Uh, I do think there's enough there to pursue, and it's possible that ion exchange may may prove to be very valuable. But right now, in, it's in useless. And in, in just real quick, ion exchange resin is uh, uh, so you're going to be able to capture both cations and anions for, from the exchange resin, or how how exactly yeah. is that working there? Are you donating hydro, hydrogen in order well, to take in something that's soluble in acid, or how exactly does yeah. that work? There's yeah, there's a hydro, hydroxides and hydrogen ion, positive charge and negative charge. I'm not a specialist in the development of these ion beads and so forth, so sure. someone else who is a specialist and can correct me if I'm wrong. But basically, yes, you can you're you're going to exchange cations and anions in the soil for whatever cation and anion was on the bead. And the, the, the idea behind it is, is that it's more representative of what the root encounters in the soil, which is probably true. This, this philosophy has been shown to be uh, valid and accurate in some ag crops, right? Um, but that in terms of mimicking we, exudates, is, it, is, is that what you're saying? Um, I, I don't, I don't know if I would go that far. I, I'm not sure about that one. Okay. Matt. I'm not sure about whether it mimics an exudate. I don't, I would, I would venture to say no, particularly if it's like uh -huh. a phytosiderophore, maybe hydrogen exudates, but not, not like a chelated exudate. But I would, I would venture to say, well, I don't know. I don't know about that, but it is intended to be more representative of what the plant would encounter and take up. Okay. That's the idea behind it. And, and there is, like I said, there's some meat on that bone, if you will, for, for ag crops. But what happens is they're able to, correlate and calibrate that number in let's say soybeans or something 
And so they know what it should be. They know the numbers because the soybean yield was X on this and higher and the yield went higher or whatever. They, they're able to do these. things. We don't have any of these numbers in turf. As far as I know, I mean, someone can prove me wrong, post it in, online or something, but I, I don't know of any. So, so in, um, in what you're saying is that if you have, say, for instance, your your soil uh, uh, a P level on an iron exchange resin test shows that you are at 20 parts per million. This is purely hypothetical here, too. Uh, 20 parts mm-hmm. per million and um, everything else is within the range as dictated by this iron exchange resin test. But, but it shows that you're deficient in phosphorus. We don't have an NDVI rating or some other corollary to show. Yeah. Uh, that uh, it, this is actually where we have crossed a critical threshold that is going to decrease performance. Therefore, it should be added back into the program. Is, is that what you're saying? We, we don't have well, that, I'm not aware that data. Of I'm not aware. I, I, I'm not I aware of any we do published work on that. So, you know, and I'm Me not, neither. yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's somebody's document somewhere on someone's file cabinet from the 1980s or something. They never published. I can't speak to that. But if, if, if it's been published, I don't, I don't know. I've never seen it. I've never read it. So, I mean, like I said, someone could show it to me and I could read it. And no problem. I would, I would, I would begin convinced a little bit. I mean, if, if, if there's some evidence there, but, but as far as I know, it's never been published. I've never seen any numbers to support any recommendation on ion exchange resin. So I have literally whatever the lowest possible positive number. That's the confidence I have in, a, in an ion exchange resin. <laughs> Okay, okay, Doctor Shaddix. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that, that's like that? my, can we, can we, my sentiment. Is of, that a testimony? Is that a testimonial? Can we print that? I was trying to actually <laughs> okay. visualize the lowest possible positive number, and I got a lot of a lot of zeros behind it. Somewhere, there. somewhere, there's okay. a mathematician okay. gonna, at, in Cambridge that's going to work that out tonight. Okay, and so and, and the same thing goes Dr. for saturated Shattis. paste too. I'm sorry, Ray. Go ahead. So there, there's no well, there's no there's no calibration on saturated paste either. Where we we, we don't we don't know what those critical thresholds are. There is and, uh, for boron on like, can so a corn or something somewhere in Iowa. I can't mm-hmm. remember corn or soybeans or cotton, some kind of an agricultural crop, something right? like that. Some yeah, kind of, something like yeah. that. Because okay, Let, to go, kind sorry, of lead ahead, up Ray. to my my next question. Mm. You know, as part of my academic career, I literally learned the deficiency symptoms, visual deficiency symptoms on both a monocot and a dicot plant. I learned that. Okay. And so to this day now, I use that daily. I use that knowledge daily. And the reason why I use that knowledge daily is, and this is where it gets into an issue, is I then have various people telling me, okay, if you get have X in the soil, then you shouldn't be deficient. You shouldn't need anything. However, why am I then seeing visible and obvious deficiency symptoms, for example? Mm. And so there's something that applies, I, I suppose, to all biological things, medicine included, is mm. you do not 
treat numbers, you also treat what is actually happening right before your eyes. Yeah, so let, right, let me let me expand on that a little bit because this is critically important. I don't know if they set you mm -hmm. up for this or not, but you hit it on you hit a topic I want to go over, and that is. So, so Ray's point was basically these numbers are numbers, but what are you visually seeing? Basically, what you're saying, Ray, is if are are you observing some issue with the turf, or are you not? Mm -hmm. Are you seeing the turf yes. perform well, or are you not? Yes. and that's key. Mm -hmm. That's critical. The, the the only I have a slide I didn't didn't send it to you, but basically it's a it's a quote, and it basically says this: if your turf grass is performing to your acceptable standards. I don't care if you want to call it quality. I don't know if you want to call it yield or growth rate, whatever your acceptable standards are. Mm -hmm. If it's performing acceptable to you and there's no prior condition, pre-existing condition, then there's no reason to soil test. No agronomic good reason. I'm not talking, talking about all the different policies and all the HOA requires this the and politics. no require that. Yeah, the politics, <laughs> yes. Right, right. Yeah, you don't want to get I into can't the handle politics, that. But... I can't control that. You got to do mm -hmm. what you got to do. You know, if Miss Jones is going to fire you because you don't take a soil test, then go take a soil test. I mean, what are you going to do? But agronomically, there's no good reason to soil test if there's if your turf's performing well and there's no prior or pre-existing condition. I mean, it makes no sense. And so, um, you know, if if you're soil testing, barring legal issues and the requirements by law and all other stuff, if you're soil testing, it should be to diagnose a turf grass issue. And that's your point, Ray, is what I think you're trying to say is that what is your turf? What are you observing? If you're observing a problem that you can't, you've already checked off, you've already gone through the checklist of water, light, temperature, injury, and you don't, you're not convinced that it was any of those, then a soil test can help guide you as to maybe outliers and extreme, you know, extreme values, low or high values that might give you an indication. And I'm going to show you an example of that maybe towards yeah. the end where... It was a, sort of a, I couldn't figure it out. And then the soil test is what helped guide me. And the whole time I'm mm -hmm. trying to diagnose a turf grass problem. We get lost in the soil numbers. The soil numbers, can, I, can you cuss on this channel? Yes, the, absolutely. The, yeah. the soil <laughs> test means jack God, shit. God, I feel so much fucking better. Okay? It, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean any, yeah, it doesn't mean anything unless you're mm -hmm. diagnosing a turf grass problem. You, let me, let the me numbers push on the soil test. Look at the turf let grass me, first. I just I, I want to yes. I'm going to play devil's advocate here and push back on you just a bit and um, okay. uh, so I'm I'm going to phrase it like this and I'm going to come from the the lawn care world where you're doing mm -hmm. you know say you're you're doing 400, 400 different yards a year right okay. and you are strategizing what you're going to be applying the next coming year right and to make the most informed decision you possibly can about what you're going to be buying. Um, would you, do you think in that particular instance as a preventative measure, uh, to make sure that you're not going to be running into any outliers that in that particular instance, going ahead, conducting a soil test to be able to say that, okay, I can avoid three problems on these particular okay. lawns because I'm at 18 okay. parts per million of potassium. Okay. Let me get yeah. in front of Okay. That. So I'm going to go into the doctor with my 11 year old son and the doctor is going to say, you know. We need to do a bone marrow biopsy on your 11-year-old son. Why? He's healthy. Well, we just want to do it to make sure there's no deficiency there. There's no, there's no problem with his, with his bone marrow. He would lose his license. Mm -hmm. Okay, now if you do it on me, 
I've had my, I've ha- I have health issues and they do it on me. I have a pre-existing condition mm-hmm. and I've had that done. It hurts like hell. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, but there's a reason why there's a good reason. And I have a pre-existing condition that requires regular um, evaluation, regular measurements, but my son is perfectly healthy. There's nothing wrong with him. So what, you know, so why would you go down these roads? And the, 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 the sort of the, I don't know, down the road issue is you're developing bad habits with you and your subordinates who are following you, your, your, your management practices. I'm talking specifically about like assistant superintendents who are getting these practices from the superintendent who's a very successful superintendent and he takes a soil test, he doesn't do anything, he sticks it in his file cabinet, he doesn't use it. Well, then the, su- then the assistant superintendent goes to his course and now he's a superintendent and now he does the same thing over and over and over. And we don't have good evidence-based reasons to perform these practices. And then the next thing is, okay, well, now I'm going to move away from soil tests. I'm going to do, now I'm doing, um, well, I don't want to use any company names, but I'm going to use this new machine because I heard it works. There's no evidence to support it, but I'm going to use this new machine because now the mindset is I'm not basing my decisions upon turf grass quality performance and the evidence that supports or doesn't support that. We're just basing it on, well, what's, what's going to happen? And, you know, it could be this or it could be that. We're, it has just when soil testing is done, it should be when there's a pre existing condition that you're trying, to, you're trying to keep track of. Like, say you have a, let's say you had a phosphorus deficiency or you have a, or organic matter example, say you have a huge organic matter problem for some reason and you want to keep track of it over time, see if it goes down because the turf grass isn't performing well because of that. And those are good reasons. But I, I'm not convinced that we should soil test just to, just to see what the number is and maybe put something in the fertilizer so we don't become, def- you know, it's not deficient. I'm, I'm not convinced um, that's the case. If the turf grass is fine, the turf grass is fine. We don't need it. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to introduce another variable here. So the variable mm-hmm. specific to lawn care is that uh, obviously the, the the more issues that show in the lawn through the course of the year, uh, the greater the pressure on the business owner. Right. Uh, because yeah. basically every every uh, for lack of a better word, every fuck up that occurs through the course of the year, that's that's one more derogatory mark against you. Right. And mm-hmm. and th- this is why I'm pushing the preventative aspect of it. And, and I'm not saying it's up to that. Every month you need to get out there and do it. Every year you get out there and do it. I, I think you could legitimately get away with it every five years. Uh, and and the, the, But the reason being is that if you could exclude that one potential derogatory mark on the front end, would it not mm. make sense to go ahead and at least just get that out of the way for uh, uh, ease of mind? Well, maybe I misunderstood. Are you talking about like you show up on a property, you have no idea what's there at all? Is that what you're talking right. about the first time around? Okay, right. so maybe I misunderstood your question then. I mean, there, there is some, you know, so, okay, let's let me back up. If that's what I misunderstood you. If you have no clue what's going on there, then you don't know if the turf is performing to your, to your expectations. If it, let's say you took the turf out and you put a new turf in, should I soil test? Well, is the turf performing to your ex- expectations? It's not growing at all. You don't have, you don't, you don't have any frame of reference as to what it should be and shouldn't be. And how's it growing from last month, last year, two years ago? You have no frame of reference. So in a, in a new setting, that's that falls under my def, my definition of why you, uh, what a good reason is is that you soil test only when you have a, um, your turf's not performing to your expectations. And in the case of a new lawn or a new golf course or a new football field, and you don't have any numbers at all, you don't have any idea how the turf is growing, then that would fall into that category, and that would be I feel a valid 
valid practice. At least I think, see I think what you're dealing with. A perfect example yeah, of ask, ask bad questions, get, get the wrong answer because I, I left that part out that uh, establishing, you know, a baseline, you know, where it's, you, it's, it's a new property to you. You're trying to figure out where to start. Yeah. And, I, and I, I'm going to parlay this into a, a little bit further and, and it's going to get into the business management side of things. And, and obviously, I don't expect you to, to be able to just jump into this. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a, a safe starting point, right? You show up and mm. a lot of times, like, you know, for, for instance, you show up on a property, there's an inherent cost of that, right? To turn on your truck, you know, you're paying insurance fuel, all that fun stuff, time. And, uh, and so a lot of times, you know, there's, there's something should be done to generate revenue per stop. And, uh, and yes, you could say that, okay, just the soil sample that self bill for that. Uh, but a lot of times if, if you're out there, right, they, they want that ins instantaneous feedback, some sort of instant gratification. Right. And if you're, mm -hmm. if you're going to start with fertility on a lawn that you, that you really don't know anything about, um, is it, would, would a nitrogen only approach be uh, wise or is it not doing anything at all to start until you have some sort of data set? Uh, should you start with a, you know, a, a, some sort of special ratio okay. of 412 great, great, great or question. 111? Okay. Good, great question. So I'm going to use, I'm going to use this question to parlay into my next uh, sort of um, interest late, my most recent interest. And that is the, um, let me let me run a hypothetical with you guys. Let's put them all back on on the screen here, mm -hmm. J. Pink. So let's run a hypothetical. So I'm going to try to get everybody to agree, even though I know we all are human, we all can't agree on the same thing all the time. But I'm going to do my best to get everybody to agree to, to the same thing here in a second. Okay, first first time <laughs> ever, maybe. So I'm going to hypothetically at first. Let's let's. I'm not, I'm not asking you to do this. I'm just. This is the hypothetical part. Let's all hypothetically agree. That we all maintain lawns or golf courses or sport turf or whatever, sod farms. And hypothetically, we're not going to apply anything at all. No nutrients whatsoever. No nitrogen, no phosphorus, nothing. Okay, let's say we hypothetically all agree that that's, that's what we're doing. No, we're not, Ray, I know you're, you sound like you're a control person. You're, you say, I'm not going to apply anything. None. Okay, so let's, let's just put that as a given. We all agree. Actually, with uh, actually you know what, uh, Dr. Shadid? <laughs> Mm -hmm. That is what I do. That is okay, what I even do. Better. At first, even better. You know, and I'll tell you why. Okay. It's because my t my typical situation that I run into in this dirt where it has no earthly business being okay. is a nutrient excess. Well, okay. Well, there you go. So I got a, so, so, that, so that's I got a lot of shit to get about. rid of. Okay. So yeah, that's in line <laughs> with what I'm talking about. Yeah, so, keep keep going with so, your hypothetical here. So I'm not yeah. asking you to I'm not asking you to literally agree with that, but hypothetically agree there now. Here's what I want to ask if we all can agree with this. Can we agree then we're not applying anything to only add to our program elements or items that we have a good reason to do so? Okay. Yes. Okay. Now I all we have to do is that. define a good reason. Okay. So now all we have to do is define what, what is a good reason. Okay. So what is a good reason? So Matt, your question is, is it a good idea to just start with nitrogen or just, you know, start with nothing? Whatever. So what is a good reason? So uh, I'm going to assume Ray has a nutrient-rich soil or I'm maybe wrong, whatever. And he realizes on Mrs. Jones's lawn that the turf's growing mm -hmm. fine. He doesn't need to, it's Actually, growing in the rain. He can't, keep, he can't keep up with it, you know, and he's not doing really anything to it. Excessively. Okay, I'm and just, so 
So then the thing is, is that I'm seeing where you're going with this because what this means is initially do nothing and you only apply or add as warranted to correct issues with growth and performance first and then secondarily appearance. Am I, yeah, am I right? Basically, that's it. Yeah. We're so right. Maybe, maybe okay. we, we need to meet up or did something. Did it pass the eye test? <laughs> if, it, if it doesn't yeah. pass your eye test, then, then yeah. start I mean, to add fertility. So, if yeah. it's, so there's, there's, there's superintendents who have the, the turf looks great, but it's not growing at the rate they want it to grow at. So they'll go and apply nitrogen. It makes sense. They want it to grow. I'm not saying they should or shouldn't have it grow faster, but if that's what they want, then they're going to have to apply a product to do that. In that case, we have really good reason to buy nitrogen. So we would apply that. But we have equally bad reasons to apply N and P and K and iron and manganese and magnesium and all these things in the blend with nitrogen. So that's back to your question, Matt, is that to me and from my experience with these, these, these uh, issues, when you throw everything in the kitchen sink, which is a blended fertilizer, N, P, K, iron, all this other stuff, you have no idea what's doing what. Okay, You, think, you might think you do, and I'm going to show you a picture of that at the end. But we can't identify what you really need and what you don't need, what you're really getting value of, out of and what you're not. So you might be actually getting something out of the sulfur and you would have no idea because you're applying magnesium sulfate, potassium sulfate, and iron sulfate, manganese sulfate, and all these other things. And you think it's because of the magnesium, but it's not. In fact, it happened to be because of the sulfur. But you didn't know that because there's so much other junk in it. So mm -hmm. start with nitrogen. The odds are pretty good. You're probably going to have to apply nitrogen. I mean, that's just reality. It's what we're in. And then... If it's growing to your acceptable standards and it looks fine and everybody's happy, you don't need to apply anything else. Okay. It's only when you, you observe, I don't know if Matt or Ray said that, it's only when you observe something, you observe your turf and it's not performing well at that point. You have nitrogen on it at the rate you like and it's not performing well. Something happens and you go through water, light, temperature. You don't have a massive outbreak of armory worms or fall, you know, whatever. You, you know, the injury's not there. Okay, well, maybe there's a nutrient deficiency or maybe there's something else. And then you can take a soil test, find a deficiency, whatever, and then add in probably phosphorus or something or what, you know, whatever, this, whatever, you know, add one item in at a time until you see the turf respond. And if you don't see it respond, don't add more stuff in. Take it out. You got to do one thing at a time. And then once you find that dialed in, you might, might be okay. And the next question that comes up is, I have, I have a, you know, let's take one of the major lawn care companies in central Florida, I'll leave their names out, but they have, you know, thousand units or whatever, and they're going out and seeing, they can't have a different nutrient source for every conceivable lawn. It's impossible. Even with on the same but truck, they should. The same truck seeing, but they should, yeah, there's no way that, they should, yeah, well, they, but, but you know, logistically, they their, their argument yeah. is it's very challenging to do that. I get that. Okay. Well, bullshit. But, <laughs> bullshit. But we still need to, we still need to divide it down to the, 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 the least common denominator. In other words, divide, get all the junk out of it that, that you don't need for, for the, you know, the, what would you, what would you call that? I guess the lawn that needs the most stuff, let's say it's N, P, and K that one lawn needs, but no other lawn needs iron, manganese, magnesium, then leave it all out except for the N, P, and K. You know, you see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? So only put in the items mm -hmm. that you actually need. So putting in one item, nitrogen, Matt, is, is what I would recommend. Stay with nitrogen, stay with soluble nitrogen. I'm leaning heavily towards soluble nitrogen due to the, the work we've been doing with the cost and things. Um, and, and, you know, it's going to be a pretty boring program, but that's basically all you really need from, from the most cases. And then add in one or two items only when you have a good reason to do so. And the good reason is the turf grass is not performing to your acceptable standards or you have a pre-existing condition. 
And I think one of the, the, the most overlooked things in regards to nitrogen is that you know, nitrogen is going to facilitate everything else, right? So PK, everything else, and, and the majority of the time, your native soils are going to have sufficient levels of that, right? And so, you know, mm-hmm. if, if that's what your concern is, that being into the plant, well, then apply nitrogen because that's what's going to get it into the plant. Um, yeah. Ryan, I know you've got a ton of, of questions specific with the soil test and the paper, mm. let's get start. Start. Yeah, I'm sorry. Let's get into it. We're an hour and twenty us. minutes let's, into this thing. I'm sorry. No, we, no, no. This is we, this is just we will we keep you on. for nine hours because this is what we love. <laughs> yes, that, that may uh, happen. We are <laughs> having a lot of fun right now. Okay. Yeah, we we you're enjoying let's, this. Let's, let's, let's hit it. Okay. So, first of all, the survey. I'm 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 super appreciative that you took this on. You know, it's I think it's an important one. I think it's just one that. You know, hopefully, whatever it is, every five, six to ten years, right, that we can continue this because it'll be important to see those trends and how they evolve yep. right now. Mm-hmm. And I think what'll be really interesting is to see, you know, with the resurgence of golf post-pandemic, right, or mm-hmm. during the pandemic and post-pandemic, what does that, you know, make the trend line do in some of these cases? So, in in digging into the paper, I kind of want to talk about, you know, a little bit of what you guys found, um, both in the survey data and talk about maybe trying to unpack it, make sense of it. Yep. I know that sometimes it's hard to do that. So first off, let's look at table 10. Uh, Jay okay. Pink, throw that one up there real quick. I see so, him one that had some highlights in it. I don't know. Yeah, this oh, is the perfect. One okay. 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 So yeah. So I pulled this one out too because so okay. we were talking about saturated paste, right? Before. Yeah. And for those of you that don't know, so Dr. Shaddix, you're a soil scientist. Can you quickly, you know, 30 second, explanation of what a saturated paste test is oh okay in, yeah so in ba- soil. okay yeah so basically saturated paste is um a a, a test where the, the soil comes in you they apply a, a solution to this water deionized water uh to the um soil until it becomes a paste it's and then they vacuum that out and filter out the 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 water and then they they analyze what's there. So the idea is there is that it's only what's soluble in the soil solution that is analyzed, not anything that's extracted off the colloids or um, organic matter or whatever. So it's only what's okay. soluble. And the idea is the way it's sold is that oh, this is only what the soil, the plants have access to, and this is only whatever. And 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 I want to what I want to point out is put put put, put that table back up. That forty seven should mm-hmm. be zero. Okay, folks, it should be zero. <laughs> Thank you. I said, you. That, Thank I said you. that down Thank in you. Orlando. Yeah, I'll say. I'll, I'll Orlando say. Last week. Yeah. What they say to that? What did they say to well, that? I don't know. I don't know if they were stunned or not. Groans. But it was late in the afternoon. I think people were wanting. It was beer thirty, and they. I think they were wanting to get out of the room. But, but it should be zero. Okay. I'm going to explain this. Is is it, the, the analogy I like to use is this? Okay. You. Got, this is perfect. You all three are all private business owners. Okay. I'm assuming they're private. They're business owners. And you're going to go to the bank or somewhere and get, you're going to have to get a loan or some sort of money to finance the start of your business. You're about to start a business. Okay. You guys have been in it for years, but let's say when you start, you had to get money from somewhere, probably the bank. And let's say you go to the bank. What's the bank going to do? The bank's going to ask you for all your financial papers. They're going to ask for all your, you know, all these things. They want to know about your wealth. They want to know, you know, where, where, how are you going to finance this thing? And what they're going to do is, when you walk into that bank, Ryan and Ray and Matt, you, when you walk into that bank, that banker is going to say, okay, how much cash do you have in your pocket? And they're going to evaluate your entire wealth 
on the cash in your pocket, right? <laughs> no. 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 But that's what all. saturated paste does. They're, they're going to, whatever wealth is in, whatever cash you have in your pocket, you could have a million dollars in your pocket and be dirt poor. You could have one dollar in your pocket and be the most wealthy person in the, on the planet because you have money in your bank, you have money in real estate, you have money in, in your kids' college education, you know, all these other areas where you have you money. Have collateral. Res, reserved, you have collateral. yes. You have money yes, and you have sure finances it's... and wealth stashed in other areas. What you have in your pocket is insignificant to your the wealth, your, your wealth, okay? The, your ability to, to pay your bills is, you know, you, it's, it's irrelevant what's in your pocket, you know? So saturated paste is the same thing. Saturated paste is how many, how much nutrients are in the soil solution when that extractant occurs. It has no ability to know what's in reserve in the soil. And that's the same Wait, thing as your bank. And what is the extractant with saturated paste? It's just DI yeah, water, water, deionized water. Yes. Yeah, just, just water. Just water. So, clean water. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's just so, water. So, and it, it has no, there's no way anyone can tell you from a saturated paste what is going to occur to your turf or what nutrients will be available to your turf grass over any length of time. It could, it could, it could take that test that, that night, it could rain, well, raise case, it's going to rain 10 inches. Take another saturated taste, paste tomorrow, and the number is going to be completely different. You get, you had money in your pocket when you were in that bank. Yeah, you 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 got robbed. Now you have no money in your pocket, so you don't have any money. You're zero. You're nothing. Well, they don't. You they you, you didn't see. I got two million dollars in in real estate and three million dollars in, you know. In other words, you have reserved other wealth, not just what's in your pocket. And and the saturated paste is only telling you what's in your pocket. That's it. Okay. At that time. And, at that, at that moment, time, that's that it. And time. there's, there's, yes. there's, mm -hmm. as far as I know, there's no correlation or calibration. We have no idea what that number should be. We have zero knowledge. And what's, what's sold is, this happened about five or 10 years ago where the superintendents said, oh, uh, well, not the superintendents. I think they were being sold this where they're saying, well, you should do, you, instead of using DI water, you should use irrigation water because your irrigation water has oh, more calcium in it. I remember that. Yeah, it might, it might be using affluent water and the, 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 the saturated paste might be higher because they're affluent. And so all these numbers are just coming in all over the place. And, and at the end of the day, guys, there is no, in fact, I just spoke with another professor just last week about this issue as well. There, there is literally zero confidence. Well, I can't say zero. Okay, whatever above zero in these numbers. I have no idea what these numbers mean. Okay, even e it's, it's, I suppose it's possible some, somebody down the road may eventually see this on YouTube 50 years from now and go, oh, Dr. Shaddix was an idiot. Now we figured it out. No, you figured it out. Great. I'm all for that. If you figure it out, let's do it. But until we figure it out, I have, I have no confidence in that number. That number should be zero instead of 47. Sorry. So Ron, let me I, ask I just, you. No, 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 no. Minute. That was, that was, that was, that was a great explanation. So can you talk a little bit? So to use your analogy, which I loved, by the way, mm. now let's say mm. that, uh, soil lab or uh whoever says that okay hey mm. those other nutrients that aren't in your pocket right that that other wealth that you have yeah. it's in a it's in a blind trust right now it's locked up mm. you can't get it mm -hmm. so that's a ridiculous <laughs> statement okay not from you but it's a, not a statement but it's, a, it's trying to trigger you phrase. i did it you're it's trying to tee you up <laughs> okay <laughs> this whole locked up stuff is, is nonsense. When you say, when I, when I hear the word locked up, I hear nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. 
But what it is, when, when, when it's chemically, Balance. chemically, when a, when a product gets, let's use iron, when it gets locked up, what I'm saying is the iron actually converts from soluble iron three to iron oxide, where it's, a, it's now a mineral that is not going to be soluble, I'm saying. So if you're going to say locked up like that, then, then yeah, but this locked up thing is complete, complete. It, it, phosphorus gets locked up with calcium, it gets locked up with aluminum, but it's not like it's going to suddenly become unlocked. You know, I mean, if, it, if iron oxide is never going to become soluble again in, in our lifetime. Okay, so it's gone. All right. Now, sorry, go ahead, Ryan. What, no, no, I, uh, it, he had to step away for a second. His son uh, okay. was, was asking, asking him to come hang out for a second. Uh, so, the, so nutrients the, do get nutrients do get locked up, but the, the whole locked up thing is just it, it, the phrase itself is it's 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 not a scientific term. Okay, it, it it can mean so many things to so many different people. At the end of the day, if a soluble nutrient has become insoluble, then it is not available to the plant. Okay, but there's so many different ways that, that can happen. But okay? does that mean that the plant can never utilize it? Well, no, well, no, not not in every case, but with with iron, certainly is that's very likely the case in in most cases, but but it doesn't mean it can't ever eventually get access to it. Particularly, let's say with let's say um, manganese oxide or something, or um, a, a more soluble oxide metal, right? It's a little more soluble. So the the plant, well, the, all these plants are growing out here in nature, Matt, and nobody's applying iron to the Amazon trees. Okay, <laughs> all the, all those trees have iron. They're, they're getting iron from exodus from the roots, either through phytosiderophores, which are a chelate, or through exudation of hydrogen you know, through, from, from protons that, that reduce that pH down so low that they can solubilize some of that. But, but the, the idea of this locked up, I'm applying nutrients. Oh, my nutrients are locked up. I'm going to apply this. I, I probably read Ryan wrong. It, it, oh, I'm going to apply this product, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to make the nutrients um, unlocked or something like that. that that's mostly so nonsense. Well, given given the um, you know saturated pace, the whole lockdown, and, I, and thing I'm sorry is, if I'm saying something that you guys have said. I, I just realized you maybe you've said the opposite, and I don't mean to offend anybody. No, it's not. No, no we've actually, we, we've we're actually teeing said, you up. I promise. A lot of this, we're we're yeah, we're asking you we're because you because we want to hear it oh. from someone else besides because a lot of this we learn from people like you, right? And so. Oh. Uh, to, okay. to hear it from someone else makes it makes it all good because okay. li listen you, everybody goes through a journey in their career right and mm -hmm. everybody has been through a period of their life where you know they relied on someone else to feed them the information that they're using sure. to make of the course. judgment calls while they're out in the field right and a lot of, course, of times yeah. it starts off with i'm having hundreds of saturated paste tests done i'm buying okay. uh, uh six tractor trailer loads of granular fertilizer that has iron oxide blended into it and i feel great <laughs> about it at the time yeah, and then as your career progresses and then all of a sudden you're like i i did not know that i thought i knew it yeah. but i did not know yeah. that and uh and, and then there. that's kind of when it becomes fun right because you realize that everything you thought you know you don't know a fucking thing as a matter of fact and so like it's that <laughs> that second wake or midlife crisis as i as i called it right uh yeah. it's, and so I, I promise that's why we're asking you these questions and it is we, there's nothing you're going to say that is going to hurt our feelings i promise you not yeah. at all uh, so okay. do, do, do not worry about that at all. And, and, and keep in mind, this, right is that a, a, this is just my opinion it. based upon my knowledge of the literature. I could be wrong. I mean, I, 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 uh, I am wrong Dr. many Shannon, times. Your, your, your career and your, your uh, 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 hmm. body of work, body of evidence that you've gathered is more than what we're able to offer. And so, therefore, <laughs> we're placing extra emphasis okay. on your opinion. Okay. Right. 
Okay. Um, yes, you know, your opinions so given, have given very the, high value to us. Yeah. <laughs> so given okay. the saturated pace is, is, is only accounting for the money in your pocket, if you wanted to see your total assets, uh, which mm -hmm. extractant should we be looking at? Um, Jay Pink, pull up that slide again. You know, I'm gonna show you the extractant. So, basically, it's a good question. It's a good question. So, um, the, the go, there's a slide that has all sorts of formulas on it and stuff. Um, yeah, this one. So, these are all the extractants, pretty much everything that you're going to use. And the only reason I want to show this is, is that not because of you know, you know, I don't remember all this stuff on the right hand side. I, you know, I don't know all that stuff. But the, the reason I'm showing this is that different regions have different, um, uh, conditions strong, strongly yes. different conditions yeah and they have stronger correlations between certain extractants so if, for example you wouldn't want to use um say uh, a malic Hell 3 yeah. in semi-arid west where you should be using the olsen extractant because it's going to extract mm -hmm. less phosphorus the malic 3 is going to strike less phosphorus than the, than the, than the sodium bicarbonate mm -hmm. because the the, the uh, alkaline soil is actually, going to neutralize the acidity in the malic 3 and it's not going to extract it's the other way around in that if you try to run an M3 on the calcareous or mm -hmm. high calcium soils, which I have here in Hawaii in, at okay. sea level as well, yeah. what actually happens is that your phosphorus values on an M3 are going to be grossly exaggerated versus mm. what the Olsen saturated sodium bicarbonate test extracts. And so therefore, for example, when somebody talks to me about a soil test from say, Texas or Arizona, mm -hmm. I then ask them, did your lab run M3? Because if they did, and they told me, oh, but Ray, why is my grass turning purple yeah. and not growing? I'm going to say, uh, that is probably because that test that they ran is not reflective of your actual conditions. Run it again as a, as an Olsen. And yeah. that is a clue as to why the turf is not performing at that point. So yeah, just to okay. clear that up a little, because yeah. I'm familiar with this table as well and yeah. why somebody would run a soil test extractant based on their existing conditions. And that's why actually, I liked what you said about how the most important thing may well be pH and salt levels. That might be yeah. your, your guideline as to what you, what you need to do further. <laughs> yeah. So, so this, slide, this slide basically just shows there's different extractants. You okay. know, mm -hmm. generally speaking, Malik 3 is generally used. It's a, referred to as universal extractant. I don't like that phrase, universal extractant, but it is more common. You can see that on the previous slide or the one of the, the, the table from the, not the previous slide, the table from the article where, you know, it, it is the most common evidence-based extractant. Okay. And I don't, I don't refer to saturated paste as an evidence-based extractant. It's, there's no evidence for <laughs> Thank it. Thank you. Okay. Oh, sure. But Malik 3 is the most common one, but you can see all these different regions, even in the Southwest for phosphorus. And the reason this is split out is because I didn't want to have a survey where it said nutrient analysis and include phosphorus in it. Um, but I can't ask every single element on every single extract, and it's too much for a survey. So I split it out because phosphorus is really the element we're concerned about the most, I suppose, on a, well, in terms of environmental you know, issues. And, um, and that's the one that a lot of the extractants are tailored to. So like the, you know, the Olsen extractant, 
and the, the beret extracting and so forth, they're tailored to have a stronger correlation to what is in the soil relative to what needs to be in the soil to achieve a, a desired plant response. So, so that's the reason there's a phosphorus. So really want to look at the top part of that table where it says phosphorus now. And we do see that Olson is more common in the Southwest where you would expect it to be. Um, and it's approximately equal to Malik 3, but, um, but Malik 3 is more common. It's the most common one across the board pretty much in every region for the most part. I mean, the Southwest changes a little bit there, but, um, and it, it's probably accurate, I suppose. Probably, you know, good that it is, I suppose. But the 47, you know, it should be zero. You know, it, 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 there shouldn't be any saturated paste. I don't even know. What, when I ran these guys, I was blown away. I, I ran the stats. I, I don't know how many times because I thought I had the code wrong. I was like, this can't be. There's, I'm, there's something wrong in my code. I'm not accounting for something. Or I don't know what. Actually, I, actually uh, I'll tell you was. what the situation is. I'll yeah. tell you what the situation is, is that when a soil test procedure is coupled to a entity that is also selling their brand of soil amendments and fertilizers that's when absolute fuckery happens okay <laughs> is that when these guys are you know they're they're telling these golf courses for example run your saturated paste test and then they yeah. also have Here's our catalog with all of these powders and liquids that you're supposed to be using. I mean, because I experienced yeah. that for myself as well in that I got sold, for example, a testing procedure and a whole line of soil amendments and supplements to go with it. And of course, yeah. me being a science-based person, I rejected it all immediately. Okay. <laughs> I said no. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to ask this too and it's you know call it controversial or whatever if you will but coming from mm. you come from academia and I'm going to yeah. I'm going to point at that you know after from from my education in turfgrass I did not feel like I was equipped to make the appropriate decision by myself by uh, even even choosing the proper extractant right like uh, mm. in the event I was going to conduct it <laughs> I didn't feel like I was I was equipped uh, educationally. Now, part of that could be the beer drinking I did and all the other extracurricular activities. But uh, the other part of it too is that I just didn't feel like there was, and again, you being a, a, a subcategory of ag, right? That a, a, a lot of times you're trying to parse information from ag over to turf, and yeah. uh, and and it just it gets it gets a, a little weird sometimes. And so my my question is is that. In, in terms of, of academia and what's being taught to undergrad students, mm. why isn't there mm. a greater emphasis on uh, highlighting what is yeah. actually shit, bullshit, and, and versus, yeah. uh, you know, when you enter the real world and, and all of a sudden you feel married to a distributor because they're the ones that are helping you make the decisions after because you feel ill-equipped. That's a great question, and I, I'm ill-equipped to answer that question, but I will say I know there's one or two uh, professors who do teach turf grass science, uh, who do that, who, who actually show, um, claims and so forth from manufacturers and use those as examples to educate their students. Um, so, uh, it does exist, but I, I, let me say this is that my, uh, I, I don't know the reason why it's not being taught. Um, or maybe I think it probably is being taught, but maybe not. Uh, I think more so now it, than, Say two thousand eight, yeah. right? And and yeah, you know, I just 
I look at University yeah, of Tennessee I, and the and the the turfgrass talent there now versus then. It's yeah. it's it's a little bit different, right? The program has changed yeah. significantly. A lot more money and all that fun stuff. But I'd say by and large, it's it's not. It doesn't feel widely adopted to me. I, I'll point. say this: I I have the privilege of being married to someone who's an actual doctor who, who her work actually matters. I'm, we're dealing. I'm digging in the dirt, and she's digging <laughs> in people. But Oops. um, so but but in her world. She and I'm I'm using this as an example. In her world, when they teach, when they lecture, generally speaking, which is the case at UF and the case here at UK, um, where when they lecture, those are director of the course, and the director doesn't teach every lecture. Okay, the director directs the course, and if they're if the course, let's say the course is, um, well, let's just use turf for example. So the turf is the, the turf is course is turf 101 or something. And the subject for the next week is turf pathology. And the person, the director of the course is an entomologist. They wouldn't teach that class. They would bring in the pathologist to teach that class in, in my wife's world. Okay. They have, they have pathologists and they have, you know, all these specialists. Well, in turf, we don't always have the specialists in every category and yes. every discipline of turf grass. So the, the, sometimes the turf professor is a lone, lone ranger out there. She, he or she's the only one there. They have to do it. And what happens is they end up teaching on subjects that they're not necessarily specialists in. They know it. They're specialists in some other area. And so I, I think that's partially why we don't uh, get some of the, you know, information that we're looking for. I remember when I took irrigation when I was an undergraduate, I took ag irrigation because there was no golf irrigation. There's no, there wasn't, there's not enough faculty to teach every subject in, in, in turf, but in medicine there is, there's, there's people doing every conceivable area of the body, right? And those people come in and teach that specific lecture on, let's say, pulmonary disease. They'll, that pulmonologist will come and teach that lecture. And the next year might be, next lesson might be cardiology. And the cardiologist come and teach that lecture, not the director of the course. And so they get the most up-to-date information from specialists who are doing just that. So I, I do think it's a matter of of just lack of resources and lack of funding and, and lack of faculty who, you know, because of lack of funding to teach these courses is one, at least one reason, in my opinion, why we don't have the most current information up there. Uh, the, the, go ahead. I was going to say, this is going to sound like I'm critical of Penn State, and I'm not, by all means. I, 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 I love Penn State, and I, and I, I love the reputation they have and in, 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 in the good that comes with it and the exposure of, of turfgrass because yeah. of Penn State. I think it's wonderful. But, in, and I'll, I'll parlay this as, into another example, that if you have a soil test conducted through Penn State, and you look at their potassium recommendations, you know, an adequate soil level of potassium from Penn State is going to be, you know, 200 parts per million versus, mm. you know, Spectrum or Waypoint or whoever, yeah. you know, insert random lab here. Everybody has their own, you know, recommendations. But why, why, for instance, you know, a, a renowned turfgrass university, why are they recommending an adequate level of soil potassium as 200 parts per million? Is, is, is that even evidence-backed? I mean, well, yes, it, it, that is an adequate yeah. level, but what... In certain instances, can, could that be considered excessive or just okay? Ridiculous? Well, let me give you, let me give you a little background on how these gen, things are generated. You, 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 we're going to have to do this again at some point because I don't even know if we've got to the <laughs> to the, 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 the paper that I really want. But that's fine. It, it, there's just so much information, we'll, so many qu good questions we'll, you have. Yeah, really we'll, good we'll questions. Move back to it. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. We'll do you know, we'll do it again if we need to. No problem. Um, the way the nutrients are generally recommendation are generally generated through an through an institution is probably the way it needs to be, and it's in you know it takes time, but it's usually through a committee. It was at UF, still is at UF, 
and it still is here at UK, where there's a committee, a nutrient committee that meets, that um, votes on uh, whether or not a a recommendation will go through or not. And that that professor providing that uh, request has to have evidence to support it. Okay, so but but some of the old recommendations got in before the committees were formed. This is going back to the 60s and 70s. Those just kind of grandfathered in and they haven't been changed, okay? So yeah, it's not usually one person making these changes. So for example, at in Penn State with Dr. Sloshberg is there doing whatever he's doing, he may have whatever he's doing working on. It, and I don't, I don't know how Penn State does their nutrient recommendations, but generally it's a committee. Um, he, they, it may be that he has to provide sufficient evidence to convince a committee to change the nutrient recommendations uh, or it may not be i don't know i don't know that but generally that's the case sure. like when i went in front of the committee at uf and uk i had to provide all this evidence and they still didn't change the recommendation uh-huh. it, they would not change the recommendations because they didn't have enough evidence to change it meanwhile the evidence support the evidence and support of the recommendations they do have is scant or, is, or none so i'm like well, wait a second you're requiring me to get recommendation evidence to change it but we don't have evidence keep it so you know it's just there's a lot of antiquated old 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 reasoning and it's already this way and you have to have it so i'm not necessarily knocking i guess i am but it it, yeah it it, it takes time to change these things so why is it 200 or 300 at penn state i I have no idea it's probably an ag uh grandfathered in sort of nutrient recommendation that simply hasn't been changed for whatever reason i don't know but it takes time to change those things in academia well, I think I think that's a perfect thing too. Is to say, all right, that's that's a perfect example of things that just get perpetuated over a period of time, right? Yeah. Back to your paper, what are what what, okay. what is what is some of the data you gathered here that you feel like has been yeah. grandfathered to? Uh, uh, th- um, well, yes, if you, you understand yeah. what I'm saying, I'm yeah, yeah. Let me he can he can bring it up or bring it. Uh, there's a couple things I wanted to point out real quick. So bring up that paper again, JPing. I guess that same table ten. I want to go over table ten and table thirteen before I don't know when. When is this? When we shut this thing down? Whenever, whenever you want. Okay, <laughs> we might be here all night. Sometimes um, we basically have been here till this, two in the morning. Is, <laughs> this is the first table, as far as I'm aware. I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit here. This is the first table, as far as I'm aware, of its kind anywhere in in the world, as far as I know. I, I've, I've never seen, seen it, anything yeah. like this, and I fought and fought and fought to get this included. And and I had I can't, I can't just ask this question in a survey. There's a committee that that um, I'm a part of, and we have to agree we're going to ask this question and so forth so it takes time and there's good reasons why questions are excluded and so forth but i i wanted this question in i didn't expect this result completely blind blindsided by this result i i would have just put money that malik three would have been north of 50 60 percent i thought it would have been you know that would have been one but i was wrong so um so this is critical and hopefully this will help guide us um in terms of educators knowing hey wait a second we're, we're not doing something right here i mean this is i, I use the analogy in, in orlando have you guys ever heard of uh or investigated flat earth flat earth people flat earth belief i, yeah. I went to a flat earth conference in dallas texas in 19 in 2019 <laughs> 350 to get in and there was like 600 people there the best conference i ever went to in my life it was astounding and at that conference <clears throat> At that conference, I'm standing next to a, to a, to a highway patrolman outside in the, in the hallway, and these people are out there wearing hats and all sorts of alien stuff, just, you know, all sorts of stuff. And I was telling him, I was like, what do you think about this? And he's like, I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm just here to keep the peace. And, you know, da, da. and I said, and he goes, what do you think? And I, I said, well, 
I'm in academia and I, I'm here because I, it's sad. I, I'm depressed. I, I think academia has failed these people somewhere along the line. We dropped the ball. I, you know, I, I, I think either high school or college or something, somewhere along the line, academia has, has, has failed. And he goes, <laughs> he looked at me, he goes, uh, uh, I think you're thinking about this too much. And I go, really? He goes, he goes yeah, I've been, I, I've been, uh, he goes, I've been a police officer for 20 years. And part of my job is to read people. That's how we stay healthy and alive. I got to read people because I'm telling you right now, half the people in this building are high. <laughs> and I, was like, oh. I was like, oh my gosh. And, and, and I go, okay, fair enough. Okay. I'm not saying half the people soul testing are high. I'm just saying I, I still believe that <laughs> academia has failed these, pe these people who have been um, convinced that the saturated pace, it breaks my heart to see this number. I've spent a great deal of my life educating superintendents and turf managers on, on the value and, and how to use these things. And I, to see that number, I just, it, it, it just really breaks oh. my heart to see. So these numbers this high on a, on a, on a test that kind of sickening. Has, yeah, yeah. That's no evidence. Yeah, it's yeah. so sad. And 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 I, I just uh, so I just wanted to point that out is that now we know the numbers there. It sucks. My our, my baby's ugly, tough. I, I you know I got to deal with it now. But now at least we know where we are. And as educators, we can hopefully help design our programs to help address this issue. I think it's an area that it's an area it's an opportunity for improvement is what it is. Okay. So I want to talk about that. And then table thirteen. Um, Jay Pink, I think it's table 13. Okay, so table 13, what I've done here is I've highlighted in red and other ones in green. And the green highlights are, are, are values that um, is, are associated with reductions in nutrient usage. So and what this is, what we're looking at here is the association between management practices used with the intent of reducing reliance upon nutrients. So uh, the superintendent was asked this question. It's okay. I use fertilize. I fertilize based on soil test results with the intent of reducing reliance on nitrogen, phosphorus, and so forth. And what we find is the association is inverted. We find the association actually is greater if they're using. So it, so it says, was management practice used? Yes or no? And we find that more people are applying nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium if they're soil testing now. We, we know there's not yet commercially available a soil test to test for nitrogen. I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're, they're there, but they're, they're not really commercially available. So it's very likely that this association is, is, is probably not like I'm looking at a soil test and I'm going to apply more nitrogen or I'm going to apply more fire. It's probably not that, but there is, a, there is an association here that we need to explore further to figure out what's going on. Okay. And the same, and so the same thing goes with all the other red ones. So. So, for example, changed cult, turf cultivar. Okay, we changed turf cultivar. There's an association with that in applying more nitrogen. There's an association with that in applying more potassium. It kind of, kind of makes sense. There's an association there. So we can go through that. But the green ones are what I want to highlight as well. There's an association between returning clippings, using precision application, you can go down the list there, and applying less phosphorus. There's an association between reducing turf acres and applying less potassium and phosphorus. And so these are what I would refer to as, as risk factors or management factors that can be um, considered whenever someone's interested in actually, um, you know, potentially reducing phosphorus. Again, I'm not saying the, that this management practice results in that. That's not what this is saying. This is simply saying there's an association here. It's the same thing as um, heart disease. 
Um, so if you smoke and you're overweight, um, you have a greater risk of heart disease. You know, if you smoke, there's a greater risk of lung cancer. And I used this analogy the other day. I mean, Keith Richards, I mean, he literally looks like a walking dead lung. He's been smoking for 60 years and he's, <laughs> he didn't have cancer apparently. So you can't say smoking causes lung cancer. All we can say is smoking is associated with an increased risk in lung cancer, right? It's the same thing here. I'm not saying the management practice causes these things, but there's an association here. So if you want, if you're considering reducing, hey, we got to reduce our phosphorus applications. Well, return clippings, use precision fertilizer, you know, avoid fertilizing based on soil test results, you know, go down the list and you can adjust your management practices and potentially, you know, increase the probability of applying less phosphorus is what, that's kind of how to read this. Okay. These are essentially kind of risk factors for nutrient applications. If you, if you look at it that way, but I just want to make that clear. It doesn't mean the management practice causes that. It's just, there's a positive association there. Okay. And, and, and I think your point about has, has academia failed here. I could, could that also apply to this too? Is that not enough emphasis is placed on returning clippings, using well, precision fertilizer, reducing yeah. turf acreage. Yeah, and good I question will, again. I'll also yeah. I'll, I'll combine that with the idea too, is that is, is it another example also of fertilizing based on soil test results is that we're applying uh, 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 for fertility methodologies that aren't necessarily uh, evidence-based, right? So well, you know, should, yeah. should we all be, be fertilizing according to SLAN? Should we be using oh. uh, uh, what's the uh, where we're, you're, you're you're doing all your ratios, the magic ratios? Uh, Albrecht, I'm I'm drawing a blank. Oh, Bixcata and such. BCSR, BCSR. Yeah. So let's open up yeah. since, since you brought it up. Let's open up that 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 PowerPoint again, JP. With the there's a bar chart on there. So we don't have we don't have a whole lot of evidence in turf grass. This is fine right here. We don't we don't have a lot of evidence in turf grass. Well, we don't have this. We have evidence in turf grass from on putting greens and so forth, but not this specific sort of comparison. And what we're looking at here is these colored bars are um, uh, soil tests that were sent to lab one, two, three, and four, where the soil testing lab uh, interpreted the results through the buildup and maintain philosophy where you're feeding the soil, you're throwing nutrients into the soil to reach a certain value or, or the base cat and saturation where you're trying to balance the soil. And then lab, uh, well, the blue one, he says university lab, that's used the slam method. And then we had non-treated and we don't have this specific sort of thing in turf. I'm, I'm desperate to kind of get a study like this going where we're looking at all these different um, soil test interpretations on, on turf over many years and seeing what happens with the cost and the nutrient applications. Basically, what this says is, is that the the um, base cation saturation and the build up and maintain methods are uh, resulting in greater nutrients applied, greater cost to do this, but the yield in this case is identical. Okay, the yield. This was corn done in 1986. It's cut off there, but this was done in 1986. Over this was an eight year study, by the way, eight years, and the yield was identical whether you whether you bought all these nutrients and spent all this money or you follow the slant method, the yield is identical. And what happens, I think, and I don't know this to be sure, but what happens, I, I'm convinced of, is that the green bar on the far right is the non-treated, okay? And when someone goes out and takes out, does base cut on saturation and follows that methodology, you can see there's a response from non-treated, okay? There, no, I don't know if anybody's gonna argue that. You're gonna see a response from a non-treated 
turf plot, or in this case, corn corn field. But we're, we're, no one's as scientists. We're not arguing that. You, we, we, clearly, you're going to see a response if you compared if you do nothing at all. What we're saying is, you don't need to do all that extra stuff. You can just follow the slant method, or if you have, or preferably if you have a, um, a correlation and calibration done on these elements in your state, that would be more accurate, which is probably even lower than the slant. Um, I know it is in my case. Then, then you can just follow those. Okay, so this base cation idea is completely hogwash. Build up and maintain wow. is is complete nonsense. There's no evidence to support this at all. The evidence that people usually bring up is flawed. They don't even realize it, but it's flawed. And when you, when you, if you understand it, um, you, you can understand why it's flawed. Then, you're, then you understand it really well if you understand why it's flawed. So make a long story short is use the SLAN method, preferably if you're using um, numbers from your soils and your states, which is probably pretty limited, that would be even lower than the SLAN method. And if you don't have those values, and you and and you don't have slant values, or, then then you what I would recommend is is to follow the MLSN values because what's resulting is is that I, I, again I've mentioned this before I'm not completely condoning the MLSN, but what I am in complete agreement with is what the result is, and that is people are generally applying more applying nutrients more in line with what the turf crash actually requires. Okay, then, then if they did, if they followed the base cation or maintenance or e even slant, slant values are usually quite, quite a bit higher than, than the MLSN. Sure. So yeah, uh, if as long as we're following, applying nutrients and more in line with what we need, and the, the turf grass needs, then, I, then I'm fine. It's, it's one of those things, the, the means to the end is it's important. But in this case, uh, <laughs> I would, I'd rather see them just cut to the end and get it right. And then we'll figure out how we got there later. Yeah, so with with MLSN, right? And uh, I'm in, in, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, that when when I read this paper, I don't know. I'm I'm probably interjecting a lot of my own emotion here. Is that I have me personally, I have a fear over the um, uh, long long term um, uh, pressure on the turf grass industry as a whole, right? Whether that be through uh, water usage or for fertilizer runoff, whatever the case may be. And, and I think yeah. uh, it, what, what this demonstrates is, is this is another, another data set that we can use to show things that are going to result in uh, fewer inputs generating uh, ex acceptable levels or practices that can, can help, uh, help, help us use uh, less, less inputs overall, right? So we can, we can help uh, avoid mm -hmm. contributing to the problem. So between SLAN and MLSN, um, it, would you would would you agree in that same instance? And you you mentioned SLAN, but would you think SL, uh, MLSN would be a, a better starting point for doing so, considering that the values there are going to be significantly lower? Yeah, and we at least sure. do have evidence there that shows. Um, and and I, I'm not a a student of it by any stretch of means of the imagination. I'm, I'm sure you're not either, but um, you know, like one of the th things I remember specifically about that was uh, uh, Micah's work on um, uh, uh, potassium. It was showing where deficiencies began arising, right? And I think the yeah. very first deficiency symptom was detected like 50 parts per million and then began increasing as you worked your way down. And then, you know, obviously it was somewhere around like 30 where it became really obvious. And, uh, and then it wasn't a hundred percent that you were guaranteed to experience it until even lower than that. So given, given that, and, you know, we'll use that as a piece of evidence to, to, to validate MLSN. 
do you think MLSN is a better starting point than SLAN? Well, yeah. Okay. Hell yeah! <laughs> that was a really long-winded question. Yeah, I mean, SLAN, the values are almost always higher than MLSN. Each time we've done a correlation and a, a, a evidence, a, a proper correlation and calibration with phosphorus or potassium or magnesium or now I'm doing sulfur. You can throw the sulfur slides up there if you want. Each time we've done that, the numbers yeah, aren't what MLSN is. Okay, they're not identical to MLSN, but they're much closer than the SLAN numbers. So in other words, what I'm saying is the numbers that we have a, a great deal of confidence in are much lower than SLAN. Some of them are lower than MLSN. Some of them are higher than MLSN. But both MLSN and actual, I would say, you know, correlated and calibrated numbers, both of those values, generally speaking, are, are, are in close proximity to each other. They're not that far off. So, yeah. With, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about your sulfur. Uh, actually, Demay, Demay, I know you had a host of questions too. So I, I, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, you, you had to, they, you had to deal they, with Oh, Ray, Ray and Matt sorry, have been dominating the, the day. <laughs> no, I, I no, I, I've had to step away a couple of times. No, no, no big problem. deal. So, um, no you know, so going back to, uh, I guess the paper in general, right, is, okay. uh, you know, we talked about the, 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 you know, the assistance teaching. This is a, an interesting point, you know, sort of this passed down on the job training knowledge, right, that gets passed down. So I'm just curious, and this, maybe this paper highlights it a little bit more clearly than it was previously understood, but um, how do we market and get the word out, right? If, if research is the function, right, then... Mm you know, the, the next step, right, automatically becomes extension. And I know that that is, you know, your appointment, right, at UK, and it's been in the past, right? So what is the barrier in your mind, mm -hmm. right? And it doesn't necessarily have to be your barrier, but just in journal and turf grass specifically, mm -hmm. and even golf courses more specifically too. Yeah. What's the barrier there to the getting barrier? extension yeah. to be more uh, widely adopted? Yeah, That's good question. Heavy. One, yeah. Oh, oh, what, maybe we should back all the way up to the beginning of the present of the conversation today. Yeah, One, sure. you realize the University of Kentucky no no longer has a turf program, right? Tur oh, yeah. Turf yeah, program why, in Kentucky why, is gone. Can you say why? Um. Well, uh, I, I could if if I knew. Um. <laughs> um. It it was just a weird sort of bad timing thing with Dr. Munshaw exploring other options outside of UK, and and he just uh, wanted to take him and his family in a different direction at the exact same time COVID hit and. Um, why why they chose to cut it? You'd have to ask the dean and the and the chair of the of the plant soil science department why they chose chose to cut it. But I'm not working with UK. None. I'm done. I'm finished. Right, so right. I'm I met your previous appointment. Yeah. So okay, yeah. I just want to make sure yeah. that's clear. I'm not associated with Sorry. UK or UF or yeah. GCSA or anybody. I'm on my own person. Right. Um, um, University of Tennessee so, is calling you. By the way, they're calling me. <laughs> yeah, go balls. Yes, um, balls. Yes. Okay, so what was, the question was, um, Ryan, help me what out. Are the what, what, the, what are the barriers to adoption? The barriers. So, okay, comes, so here's, here, here's how, you know, here's in a nutshell how academia, well, this is, I'm not going to say how it works, but this is sort of the world of, of an assistant professor, even a, even a full professor, is that professors function in, on T&P, tenure and promotion, okay? T&P is the process where um, they're evaluated on their, on their activities. And whether you're teaching, professors have teaching, research, and extension, and some have administrative responsibilities, but it's usually one or two or 5% or something administrative. But it's teaching, research, and extension. 
I don't care if you're 100% teaching, okay? You're still going to be judged on three things. Grants, grad students, and publications. It's that simple. Okay? If you're 100% mm -hmm. extension, you're going to be judged on grants, grad students, and publications. That's what, that's what administrators want to see. So in, in, in the world of extension, you asked, your question was specific to extension. Why yes. is it not out there? Why are we not doing a better job at it? I, can, I can't speak for academia. I'm not going to speak for academia. I can speak for me. Is that I felt 100% in your corner, Ryan, when I got to UF. Because I lived the industry world for 10 or 15 years before I got to UF. And I was like, man, mm -hmm. there's companies out there that are kicking our tail when it comes to getting in front of customers and getting in front of the end users. And they're, they're informing them sometimes of very good evidence-based uh, practices. In other cases, they're, they're indoctrinating them into, into other issues that are just bizarre. We got to do a better job. And so that's when Dr. Under and I developed the evidence. The whole evidence-based turf grass management came from a dinner with me and my wife when she said, you know, we're talking, she's talking about her world. And she goes, we have to, we have to follow evidence-based practices. I'm like, that's brilliant. Where'd you come up with that? You know, so make a long story short is Dr. Under and I developed an extension program in, in Florida where he and I, along with a couple other faculty, I mean, there's other faculty involved, but he and I were the sort of the tip of the spear where we were going out and we were dedicating serious time and resources to address that issue. Because I am with you 100%. It is, it is an efficiency in academia, primarily in my opinion, because it is not seen as a, a component of TMP to the same degree right. grants, grad students, and publications are. That, that's, in my opinion, why it is that way. I, I said, right. forget, you know, I said, forget that we're doing this. And Dr. Runner was with me hundred percent and was like, we're doing it. We were dry. We was like, we were like a band going on a, on a tour. We, we had like six or seven stops around Florida and we were staying in hotels and giving talks to 200 <laughs> people at a time. It was, it was great. We were doing really, really good things. In fact, we won an extension award. Some, I forget what the award was. We won some sort of regional award for the program and, and what we were doing. And, um, but it, that that's what I did to address that deficiency, Ryan, is that, uh, it's, it's a, it's a serious problem. Um, like I said for years, research without publication is a hobby. Uh, and we don't, <laughs> we, we don't, we don't move the needle with hobbies and, and research without extension is a hobby. Basically. I mean, you, you've got to get the word out to people that can use the information. We're not doing research in a, in a vacuum. Okay. I'd mm -hmm. love to sit in my, in my basement. I got 15 ideas to do. No one's going to fund them. They're of no value to anybody other than me. No one's going to use it. It's useless. Okay. So we, we, we've got, we've got to do good research and realize this at the end of the day has to be implemented. It has to be applied to people that can use it. And that means you got to get out of your office and your lab and get out on the, on the, on the, on the extension tour and start talking to people and getting these people to understand, you know, these are evidence-based practices that where, uh, where you, if you follow them, you're very likely to either to make more money, provide the same product with less money or, or, or provide the same product with less environmental impact basically is what it is. So let me ask I this. Materials. I pay right? materials. I, I want to go back to the funding thing in a second here, but okay. on that, on that note, the, mm -hmm. you know, the road show, right. Yeah. That you, you guys went on. How much of that do you think catalyzed the movement towards, you know, what really became the first uh, BMP or best management practices 
manual right in florida for their chapter uh, of the gcsa oh yeah that that was done ages before this that was done a decade mm -hmm. ago and it turned you mm -hmm. know the the manual that exists now is was just the updated mm -hmm. version of the bmp manual. florida was the first state as far as i know to, to create a yep. golf bmp manual um but that was done ages ago i think by dr elliot dr unruh and uh can't remember he, he'll know dr Unruh was intimately involved with all that all that development mm -hmm. but that was done ages and ages ago and it served as a template to what is now a bmp for for every state in, in mm -hmm. golf but, but it had nothing to yeah. do with the extension that we were doing okay. as far as i know okay i was just i was just curious on that piece so all right uh, so on the funding piece uh mm. you know certainly a a lack of dollars that exist out there in the world to study issues that are pertinent right to real world challenges right the turf grass managers have and real yeah. world challenges that are perceived that of mm -hmm. you know issues that we create whether they're fair yeah. or unfair right so related to you know water quality like you said environmental sensitivity things of that nature right so i guess mm -hmm. you know what is the path forward right if you were to you know if you were uh president of the of the uh, turf researchers for a day mm -hmm. right how would yeah. you set the course for everybody to uh, maybe fall in line and study things that really mattered, right? What would those things <laughs> be? What would your priorities be? We uh, yeah, just it's, hey, you wanted you wanted time. us to. Well, you you wanted us. We 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 played the the, yeah. the, the let's play the theoretical game or the hypothetical game. Yeah, no, game, I mean, right? we scientists and professors sit around and talk about this, all this stuff. It's like, why in the hell would they fund that project? Why? Why? What they do? <laughs> Which, let me what, ask you this: What's your best project that didn't get funded? Somewhere. What Which was the best project you thought you had that well, that you you were in love with yourself but didn't get funded? I had a project that I sent, I'll leave the associations out of it, um, where I sent, uh, had three or four universities um, sign on to this, and we were going to do um, a sod project that looked at um, basically the, the. I think it, I have to pull up the proposal again, I don't remember the details of it, I think it was, uh, I have to pull, I, I'm going to, I'm going to get this wrong. I apologize, but it had to do with soil testing philosophies. And I wanted to look at sod, I wanted to do it on a sod farm because the agency was dealing with sod production and I had the, the sod producers, um, blessing on it. And they're, 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 uh, um, not the president, but their research person there, um, Dr. Reynolds, he was, uh, he was a hundred percent on board and, and, uh, they, they shot it down, but, but people, people don't <laughs> do research on the research and you guys have been very very flattering and very very nice to me tonight and talking about my work and so forth and that's i appreciate that if, if you mind the iron work soils this iron work on tissue the the um the nitrogen rate uh the nitrogen uh cost yeah. work that we've done these practical studies all of that was funded by me none of that was funded by any what? agency at all none of that was what? funded by anybody oh my god it was like you personally was... did or you went and found the money no 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 so not me, not me and my wife. No, what okay. I'm saying is, no. what I'm saying is, well, the sulfur study is being funded by me and my wife, but because mm. no one's paying me for that. Um, okay. But what happens is, you you end up say you get a grant, say you get a water management grant, or you get a you know a federal grant or whatever. Well, a federal grant wouldn't work. Some, but some grants from private industry grants or whatever, and you're going to do it for ten thousand dollars or five thousand dollars, whatever the case is. And you do the work, and it doesn't cost you ten thousand dollars; it costs you six or seven thousand dollars. This is private sort of. Uh, donation money. Well, you have some money left over and that starts to build up. And from those funds, you're able to kind of do what you really want to do, right? You got to, you got to, got to kind of do this work over here to get the money to come in and hopefully have 
can't do it with state or federal grants. It would be it'd be against the law. Soft money, right? Back. But yeah, soft money. So you have somebody coming in, you have you have a little a war chest built up. You say, hey, I got 50 grand. I'm going to hire a graduate student and we're going to work look at this study. Because you can't get, well, I have had very little success getting anybody to fund, hey, we're going to do a nutrient calibration study on phosphorus, on bluegrass to, you know, see what the soil testing value should be. That's just not sexy. No one, no one, no how, how one cares about sexy? that. that, that is, <laughs> that is like, that is the sex. <laughs> to me, to me, it's number one. I mean, I'm a nutritionist, but you know, I'm not saying the other, oh, it the is other super studies important. aren't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in the other studies, maybe, they're, maybe they're all important. They just take a pri higher priority. You know, maybe, maybe they, I don't know. I I'm don't not, think so. Not, do they I, know? I don't think so, doctor. I, do I don't they? Know. No, I don't think so, Dr. Shattis, because phosphorus restrictions are like the number one thing okay that is like yeah. the number one thing and for me personally yeah. something like that can become a very sore subject and you know why it becomes a sore subject to me dr shaddix why is that because you live in goddamn island? numbers <laughs> no because the goddamn numbers don't correlate with yeah, what i'm seeing true. right before my yeah. eyes yeah and when a number overrules what three decades of education and observation yeah. have shown me, then we got a yeah. serious damn problem. And yeah. I need a qualified person to sort this out and straighten yeah. things out. <laughs> well, you, you do bring up a good point, have... though. It's sort of a secondary point to what you're talking about, Ray, is that they're not, I don't I don't want to read funders' minds and whatever. I'm mostly retired now, so I offend whoever i want i guess it's not gonna bother me but go ahead offend have, that's what the show does you money or anything like that but uh but regardless <laughs> but but people people aren't going to generally fund work that they don't realize there's a problem that is trying to fix so mm -hmm. if if you have uh annual bluegrass resistance to herbicides and bluegrass everywhere and everybody's raising hell over it then oh, there's yeah. a problem that that, that problem's very obvious you know that's like hey there's a huge problem and they're gonna you know it's it's on the forefront right um, but I, I just don't know. I, I, I think I'm convinced that, that the funders and the general public just don't realize that the soil test oh, values serious, are mostly, mostly meaningless. Yeah. I don't think they yeah, realize. I don't want to say that I should, I shouldn't say like someone's going to quote me and I'm going to get taken out of context. I mean, but generally with phosphorus, potassium, magnesium in general, mm -hmm. those, those values don't mean much on a soil test, uh, to me. Well, the values. That's not true. The, the, the values do mean something. It's just the recommendation to apply fertilizer beyond that is like, it's highly questionable. Highly questionable. I think I, it's, it's extremely fair. And I, I think the lack of consistency and unity and the fact that depending on who you talk to, where you go, um, you, all these various re fertility recommendations, I just, I yeah. cannot wrap my mind around how wildly different it varies. From yeah. region to region, state to state, city to city. Um, well, it's it, just it, bizarre. The, the, yeah, well, the, the critical ranges should should vary. I mean, to some degree, they should vary. Um, uh, it's the Between, recommendations that vary. Like, I don't know where they, they pull these things out of their ass or something. I don't know where they pull these, these recommendations <laughs> out of. But, but I, I know how hard it is to get a calibration study done and to know, okay, I have confidence this is the best. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes, you know, seasons and it, take, Talk about you know, it takes that. work. How would, how would one it? set up, how, yeah, yeah. How would one set up, what does a calibration study look like? Explain that if you well, could to our audience. Pull up the great. PowerPoint slide. 
you guys are just hitting on all cylinders tonight. You guys hitting on all my favorite subjects. Let's go to the very end with the sulfur. That's what we do. So, <laughs> so yeah. So let's cut to the next slide. This is I'll, I kind of skipped that. Go to the next one. So this is a calibration study. This is what a calibration study looks like. Okay, I, this particular picture I just put out because I happened to be there that day. But this this study is on bluegrass here, just maybe three or four miles away from my house. And what what I what I determined through this process from the previous slide, actually, you know what? Go oh, screw it. Go back to the previous slide. We, I guess we're not going to get. They're not YouTube's. We'll fix it in post. Out. So so the the okay these um these. Uh, squares here were sent to me from a saw, saw producer and he said, Hey, I got some problem out here. I think I got um, a deficiency in something. And he sent me this. And I'm like, I'm applying urea and, and not seeing a response. I'm like, well, okay, that's bizarre. So I went out there and I saw these and he goes, I think I have a magnesium deficiency and you can look at this and, and see why he believed that. I'm, I, I so believe I'm going to disagree that, that it has a magnesium deficiency, Dr. Shaddix. I'm going to disagree. Well, Okay. Well, and you're right. Why? Just hold, hold hold your horse there. Hold, hold your hold your. <laughs> you're right. Okay. For, for y'all. What I'm saying is, when you look at this, yeah, you know, all three of these have magnesium in them, and the urea is mm -hmm. not green, right? And um, so I was like, okay, well, let's figure this out. So I started looking at all this stuff. Make a long story short is, I'm trying to diagnose a turf grass problem, and so I was like, let's look at your soil. I I almost never ask for that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I almost <laughs> never ask for a soil test. And I was like, something's not right here because this magnesium isn't going to do this. Okay. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Potassium isn't going to do this. All right. It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe in some planet somewhere in this other galaxy when, where the rules of, you know, reality don't exist or so. I don't know, but it's not going to happen here. And so as we took a soil test and I know from row crops that the sulfur level should be somewhere around seven or six or something like that, maybe around 10. And but you have to ask for a soil soil analysis. They don't normally give you one on a on a soil test. Mm -hmm. And so when I got that, it came back at like four or three. I can't remember. I'm like, well, oh, I goodness. doubt that's the case, but it could be the case. Mm -hmm. And so I went out on, on the next slide, J. Pink. So you move it. I went out and I did this. And the only way you can determine, well, one of the best ways you can determine if it's sulfur, is to go out with potassium sulfate or calcium sulfate, magnesium sulfate, whatever. And see if you see a response that's similar to nitrogen, because that's what it is. You're having a nitrogen deficiency is what it is. The, the nitrogen's there. The plant can't metabolize it because there's no sulfur. And so the way I have to confirm this in science is I can't just put out potassium sulfate. I have to put out potassium sulfate and something else to ensure that it's not the potassium. So I had to put out potassium chloride. So now these two sources have exactly the same amount of potassium, but there's a difference. So that tells me it, and then between the control and the calcium chlor potassium chloride plot are identical. So that tells me there's a very good probability that's a sulfur deficiency. And this, I did that prior to this study. And then once I determined, okay, it's probably sulfur. I jumped on that like, like, like a duck on a June bug. I was just like, I got to get on this because this almost never happens. And so I was like, please don't fertilize the field. Please don't, this is on a sod farm. Like, please don't fertilize this. I'm begging because I got to do it. So I ran it. He goes, no, I won't fertilize it. So I ran out there. I, mean, I, got, I got one more run I got to do in the spring. But um, and I jumped on it, put it out. And I'm like, sure, shit. I was like, man, that's a sulfur deficiency. And I did different rates. So this 35 pounds per acre, there's another plot out here. I can't remember the rates now. I did it in kilograms. But it's 10 kilograms, 20 kilograms, 30 kilograms, 40 kilograms of potassium per acre. I don't know what this is in 35 pounds per acre. But, yeah, 40 would be like 100, um, right? Yeah, so close to it. Yeah, something like that. So I went out and you do a calibration, you determine at what point do you get the turf grass to become acceptable, right? 
And whatever that point is, I didn't send you that graph, Jping, but whatever that point is where the turf crosses the acceptable limit, which is usually six, then you can back calculate what the soil test level should be, right? That's how we do a calibration. So now I know the soil test critical level is X. And because I, I use multiple um, amounts of potassium, I'm able to then determine through a formula how much potassium I actually needed to apply to achieve that acceptable quality result. It ended up being 60 pounds per acre of uh, SOP. So okay. um, 11 pounds of sulfur and, and 60 pounds of SOP per, per, uh, per acre to do that. So that's how and we do a calibration. All right. We use that's multiple multiple amounts. Over, we use multiple amounts of, of an element, and then we determine we figure out a curve we, that we see. A re, hopefully, we see a response curve, and that curve plateaus out. And where that plateaus out, we back it up to where it crosses um, uh, acceptable limits, and then that's where the number is. And that that's how a calibration is is conducted. Sorry, Ray, I didn't mean to interrupt so, you. Go ahead. Oh no, no, no problem. Be and because what I saw, you know, with that slide before this is to oh, yeah, me okay. to my eyes to my yeah. eyes dr shaddix this is classical sulfur yeah classical well, it is you're right okay, you're, you're absolutely right sulfur. Yeah. and do you know why to me to me that's classical sulfur go ahead failure for it to respond to urea yeah, well, yeah you're already, absolutely right dead you're you're dead on um, um no and, and you know why yeah. you know why we're seeing Failure to respond to urea. Yeah. We on this show between Matt, Ryan, and I, uh -huh. oftentimes our preferred nitrogen source is actually AMS twenty one zero zero ammonium sulfate. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, and, and for and the reason why is because if some of your N is coming from AMS, mm. you are not going to see. A sulfur deficiency versus if somebody oh, is true. exclusively using urea yeah. as their end source and mm -hmm. they do have low low pre-existing s in their soil this is yeah. going to come up this is probably absolutely come up. yeah so if you so on your point ray if i can just emphasize your point and that is mm -hmm. if you apply urea and this goes for everybody watching youtube now and mm -hmm. 50 years from now okay if you apply mm -hmm. urea to turf and you don't see a response, don't put more, okay? You, <laughs> Thank you. You, you, don't, you, you don't have a nitrogen efficiency problem. <laughs> say it louder for the you, folks in the back. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's locked Applying up. more isn't going to help, okay? It's going to hurt. <laughs> you will almost always see a response to applying urea. Almost always. So if you don't, you got something else going on. Don't apply more. And, and it's a key, key... Uh, example and, and, a, and an indicator, I should say, of a sulfur deficiency. And, and in general, these blended fertilizers, you're not going to see this because they have all this other junk in there. Well, it just so happens that some of that junk has sulfur. Okay. And you're applying sulfur and you, th and you think, it, back it up to the, or no, go, go to the next slide over, the, the one before, uh, I'm sorry, the one down. I'm sorry, down. Sorry, Jay. I, I misspoke, Jay. The next one. Now, see, if you apply potassium sulfate, and you don't apply potassium chloride, this is how people can become convinced that it's from the potassium. I apply potassium yeah, yeah, sulfate, yeah, yeah, I saw a yeah, response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course you saw a response to potassium sulfate, but you don't know if it's from the potassium, right? It, it, I've, I've been in this business for a long time, and I have never once seen a beneficial response to applying potassium. 
Not once. So if I have a 007 coated in a in a 0.37% load of prodiamine and I go apply that as my spring pre-emergent, you mean to tell me that's not going to make my grass turn green once it warms up outside? <laughs> not unless the K comes from SOP and you have a sulfur deficiency. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah. You so know, the, the that potassium. Just, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, potassium is not in an element that I've associated with discoloration and turf. I mean, what I've seen out of actual potassium deficiency is maybe I see tip burn, but well, turf yeah. always remains green. It always remains green, so it doesn't turn fluorescent yellow from a no. lack of potassium, for example. Never. Well, I, I will say the the only known document document case that i'm aware of was the snyder cesar paper where it at my old facility before i took over they did a study down there and i and i, I have the privilege of knowing george fairly well and he and i were talking one day and he said uh, i said man that paper's awesome it's a it's the nitrogen potassium ratio paper they did the paper's great you know he goes yeah it was done right here and we're standing on the plots and i go yeah, I use it all the time. And he's like, and we started talking about it. He said, in order to get that response, I said, I've never seen a response to potassium. And he goes, well, neither did I. But he goes, we did this for a year and we couldn't find any response to it. We had to leach this through. We're, we're dealing with sands and basically beach sand in, in Fort Lauderdale. We had to leach this through, leach this through, grow the turf out, collect the clippings for a year. We had to remove the clippings and really leach and get the potassium in the soil low enough in order to actually see a response when we applied it. Uh, and so it, it can happen. I'm not not here to say it won't happen, um, but but it is very very rare to see a response to applied potassium, um, at, at least in the field. So so but th but this is the reason I'm showing this slide, Jay Pink. Thanks thanks for leaving it up here, is because this is in my opinion why more and more people will become convinced that it's the potassium, because they're seeing a response to SOP more now than they did five or ten years ago when the sulfur um, uh, emissions. Uh, were greater. The sulfur emissions have been mm -hmm. reduced in the, in the United States over the last 20 or 30 years. And so the sulfur deposits in the soil are much less. So, so sulfur deficiencies are much greater. And so we're going to be seeing responses to sulfur, in my opinion, um, over the next 10 or 15 years become even more common. And you're going to be seeing people, I, I hope not now, <laughs> um, but you're going to be seeing people, I, I think, unfortunately, become convinced that it's the potassium. When in fact, it's probably a sulfur response. You're applying two <laughs> macro elements here, potassium and sulfur. It gets, I get a kick out of people who apply, you know, uh, zinc sulfate and get it. You're applying a micronutrient with a macronutrient. You think you're getting a response from the zinc? I mean, come on, you know, I mean, it's, you know, let's, let's no, think about this for no. a second. Well, it depends no. on who you ask, right? Yeah. Yes, so anyway, so, this is this yeah. is an example of how we can be fooled. A human mind is is very easily fooled. Okay. And as, as a superintendent, why wouldn't you believe it's a potassium sulfate? You applied it and you saw a response, right? You, you, I, you would, I would probably think it's potassium too. In fact, I did think it was something else until I went out and I had to do this three times. I'm like, I'm standing out there with the top producer and I'm shaking my head going, this can't be, this can't be. And he's like, it be, you know, I mean, uh, I, I, it just doesn't make sense where you'd have a sulfur deficiency this pronounced. And I was like, I, I, it shouldn't you know happen, what? but it does. And, but, so. you know what, Doc, but you know what, Dr. Shaddix? The way I would have teased this out fast without confounding it with magnesium and potassium is I would have just put down 
a tenth of a pound of in from ammonium sulfate and watch yeah. what happened. Yeah, that you would know? do it. I mean, because, that would do it too. Because yeah. for me, it's like well known among even the casual turf grass people that the kind of green that you get from ammonium sulfate is a little bit different from the kind of green that you can get from urea. It's a little bit different. Yeah. Do you, and yeah, we can talk about why just, that is, but I, I can tell you right now, I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> no, it, it, I don't know it, if it's from lowering the pH. I don't know if it's from the sulfate. No, it, I don't. It's also because of the. It's also because the additional sulfur. And you said mm. something very important because, with all of the EPA restrictions on various industrial and automotive emissions, the amount of sulfur in the environment has been lowered because sulfur is one of the target pollutants. Yeah, right? absolutely. It's yeah. like, yep. so with it not coming out of the sky, then it's no longer going into the soil. So it makes sense you to hear me, that, you know. You hear that, boys? All those, all those meth heads that are stealing the catalytic converters, they're turf lovers too, all right? So don't hate <laughs> on them. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it, it is, it is going to be a more of an issue. It's sulfur deficiency is going to be more of an issue. Um, generally. Um, you won't run into that if you're using a blended fertilizer. I don't recommend blended fertilizers, but it just so happens that you probably have a sulfate form in there somewhere that you might actually find some value in that. But um, I would I would uh, be very cautious about what you are convinced is actually causing the res response. Uh, unless you've properly balanced everything out, it would be very difficult to know for sure. So, as, Let me ask this real quick: because we've got about we've got about ten twelve minutes here before we've got to wrap it up. We've got Okay. Being business owners, we got some early days, and and I want to for before I even start these, I want to extend the offer to come back on here uh, whenever you'd like. Okay. Uh, this has been sure. an excellent conversation. We could literally, I got, I got we probably like should start questions. It. Yeah, we could literally start. I think next time at nine a.m. and we'll see if we can make it to nine p.m. We'll just see if we can do a twelve-hour <laughs> shift. And, you know, oh, maybe yeah. do a double. Uh, well, I was I was telling Matt on the phone. I spoke briefly before I before I decided to go ahead and come on. I wanted to just chit chat with him, and I told him, "Is like." I could talk about this till all your audience is asleep and no one's, I mean, oh. I always, no one's, I mean, it's just, I, not, not our guys, I'm, I'm, not our I'm audience. Not normal, not, that's not, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'm a normal not, person or not, but I, I, well, I, I did, don't know I why I learned two non turf related things tonight that I thought mm. were important. I want to make sure I, I hit these before we get, uh, before we ask these final questions would be okay. number one, uh, while smoking, you know, can increase your risk of lung cancer. Based on your observations of Keith Richards, I would say that groupies will reduce the risk of lung cancer as well. So there's that. And I've also, I learned, I learned that in an appropriate value for Dr. Shaddix to place on excellent people watching, top-notch people watching is $350 and a trip to Dallas, Texas. So well, those are important, those are important data points that I need to have to really size him up just like that. Real quick, before I forget, before I forget, guys. I'm not, and I'll, I'll let you ask your last two questions. Before yeah. I forget, you can actually go on YouTube and Google Jimmy Kimmel Flat Earth, and there'll be about a five or six minute video pop up. And you will see me in that video three or four times, but you will actually see me in that video talking to that police officer in the background. <laughs> I'm, I, I gotta, I'm so, gonna watch this. Everybody's everybody's algorithm, RIP to everybody's YouTube algorithm because yeah. it's gonna just blow you up with You'll all sorts it. of conspiracy theorist stuff. So, yeah. All right. It. So, 
real quick, uh, I think the the one thing, and I, I know we could talk longer about this, but just you know, give me your thirty thousand foot view, and I'd love to dive into this with another segment. I know that you're not a physiologist. I know that you're you know technically not a turf guy, but where do you see the uh, advantages in the future of using you know technology to observe uh, on turf? you know, vigor, health, all that kind of stuff, right? We're, we're uh, looking for visual cues, right, <clears throat> to know that it's growing well. But certainly yeah. there are now, you know, devices and technology that can help us do that better and maybe be a little bit yeah. more anticipatory. So where do you see that going and where how can people <clears throat> leverage that, at least at a professional level at this point? Yeah. I was um, reviewing a paper here recently um, that used NDVI I'm assuming you're talking about NDVI and DGCI. Well, that, that's that's one of them. That's one that you could use, yeah. Yeah. Um, to apply nitrogen, basically. But NDVI to apply nitrogen. Mm -hmm. Right now, I'm in the camp where I, I'm not convinced by a long stretch of the imagination that we should use objective measurements to place a value on a subjectively valued crop like turf. Fair. It's an aesthetic turf. It's an aesthetic plant. Sorry. It's, it's subjectively valued. My neighbor, well, she's gone now. She was, she sold her house, but before her, she was the happiest person in the neighborhood with her lawn. And it had about 20% turf and about 80% weeds in it. And she was the happiest pig and slop. She could, she was great with it. So aesthetic, the aesthetic value to her was at the top of the chart. To someone else, it was weed weed farm right so we're gonna pro we're gonna we're going to put an ndvi or dci or any of the uh, technologies nowadays on this crop and give us a number and plant and give us a number and say it should be this number um i'm not in that camp i can be okay. in that camp I, I can definitely be convinced that that is uh in the future uh, uh, possibly a a, a a tool we can use but in the, we'll just, I'll just pick on NDVI since that just, I just happened to put that, I was reading that paper this yeah. morning. Now, NDVI can be correlated with turf quality and performance. It can be, but it's notoriously poorly correlated. There's, there's R squareds down to 0.3s. There's R squared and then 0.8s. Okay. But, uh, and until I have enough evidence to convince me that this particular instrument is giving me a value that is relatable in some way to what I'm seeing with my eye and what the customer and the homeowner and the sport turf manager wants. I, I just don't, I'm, I just don't know how far we can go with that. I, I haven't seen it yet. So, but I, but I can be convinced. I mean, I, I just need to, I need to see okay. numbers. I mean, you see an NDVI number, say an NDVI is 0.7. So what? I mean, so what, mean, does, what does that mean, right? Yeah, because yeah. at the end of the day, uh, I always say that my business is literally dictated by that grumpy, hard-to-please person that's sitting outside looking out her kitchen window eight hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and that person gives zero dams about a number. They don't yeah. care. About exactly. Numbers, you're, you're right? exactly. Well, let, well, let's talk about the low-hanging fruit here. Is that if you if you ran an NDVI or DGCI or any other instrument on on uh, the, the Super Bowl field, it would have been off the chart. Probably give you an NDVI value of 0.9 or something, 0.95. It would have been through the roof. Well, but the for, performance, for it looked great. Yeah. 
Yeah, but but the performance of the athletes was not acceptable to the athletes. I'm not I'm not going to get into the right. whole why it happens. I have no oh, clue no. why it happened. <laughs> I don't I don't want to get down that rabbit hole because I don't know. <laughs> but clearly, the athletes, at least on one one team, <laughs> it wasn't acceptable. It wasn't performing acceptable. So regardless of what the the if you can find an instrument that'll give me a value that would then tell me before the game, hey, this field's not going to be acceptable, then that's convincing to me. I'm like, whoa, well, you know, let's look into it. Let's do something. But um, that's what it would take. All the instruments we currently have, I suspect, would have, uh, would have shown that field as being very acceptable, uh, no problems whatsoever. Um, but for whatever reason, God knows why, it, it didn't perform to the athlete's ex expectations. Is that fair yeah. to say? No, 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 no. I think it's fair to say. And I think that's why I, I, I think where my opinion, I think where it's going to go is that, yeah, it is an envelope, right? In which a thing, it, something needs to fit, right? So in terms of, you know, physical performance characteristics, right? There's a number of things that we would like to measure that we don't really have a good way to do right now. And I yeah. think you would probably find that uh if you really dug into some of the protocols related to you know just playability metrics and things like that save for what the usga just came out with you know at the show last week that you were at right the golf show that that mm -hmm. looks interesting right i don't know that it'll be the end all be all but it's yeah. a start it's a well, start I, to take well, in that, well that's a good multiple that's a very good point yeah it's a very good point ryan mm -hmm. is that the, the little i don't know what they call it the something the two or something three or beacon two, whatever it's called yeah I, I think there's great potential there. I think there's great potential with the NDVI and all these other things. I, I think there's potential there. Um, we just need more ground truthing to to convince someone like myself that the numbers are of any um, um, value in terms of predicting what's going to happen. These all, these all have to be useful in terms of predicting and telling someone this is what you need to do or this is what it should be or whatever the case is. And so it, it, that that ball might prove to be extremely valuable. You know, yeah, uh, I agree. I don't know. I agree, and I, I think the the most important thing there, and I, this is what I'd love to talk to you about on our on our follow up show, along with uh, there's more in this paper to unpack, and there's several other papers that you've written. I'd really would like to talk about in in yeah. greater depth. Oh my god, really? No, truly, like no BS, no blown smoke. But I think that okay. with the you know with that modeling of data, right, it's going to take uh, not only the ground truthing, but taking into account a whole host of other factors, right, that we don't take into account in research, right. That's hard to do. It's just simply too many data points to collect right sure. so you know with yeah. with uh, ai with machine learning with you know some of the big you know big data computing that we'll have access to i think that's doable and it can correlate those numbers better because whatever uh you know a five on the deacon scale in des moines iowa and a five in fort lauderdale might not mean the same thing right uh even that's if you normalize the, the crop the weather all that kind of stuff which is, is not going to happen yeah. so uh lots to unpack there too but do you have one last uh, one or do you have what you well, have my, no my only my last question is did you have fun was this was at this the, enjoyable for you hopefully the gis no 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 no. here on this on on the show was this oh enjoyable? yeah yeah oh yeah yeah i mean i'm sure yeah absolutely yeah I, guys i mean you have to understand when i was little i i would sit and i would read fertilizer labels when i was like freaking 12 <laughs> or 13 i was like why am you know <laughs> it's like what 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 is isobutylidine diarrhea what the heck is that word i mean it's like it, I, I would just you. read these things <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't i don't know i don't know why but the, and, and my wife like i said she is 
extremely successful in her area, but it's not turf. Okay. So I have no one to talk to them about this stuff. Oh, so grass, to have okay. people to have, to have you three, uh, flatter me with your, your questions and your, 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 you know, graciousness. I mean, it's, it, to me, it's, it's very nice to be able to talk to someone about these subjects. So, well, my, I can my, say, I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I'm no, just saying, I just want to say thank you for having me on and, and, uh, my, my, my intent is to pursue, as you mentioned earlier, Ryan, pursue other avenues of extension. I've never done this stuff before. I, I don't know what other professors have done this before. I, but when I was a professor, I wasn't, I'm freaking busy. Okay. Dealing with grad students and committees and I'm dealing with talks and I'm always going, I mean, busy, 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 busy. I don't, I didn't stop and think, oh, most of our clientele are probably on YouTube now. We might want to have a, a, a platform on YouTube. I didn't stop and think about that. So I'm giving this a shot with the intention of, of hopefully reaching more people and, and hopefully making a positive impact on, on their programs and, and we'll see what comes of it. But I had a great time. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. I think, I, I think for us, I mean, it's great to have somebody like you on, not only to give the platform to, and certainly our platform is tiny, you know, we, it's, it's nothing. Right. But I think that uh, the folks that do uh, value this content are the folks that, yeah, you're, you know, that you're ultimately trying to reach the folks that are curious, the folks that do want to find a better way and understand yeah. that, you know, science is never finished, right? It's a, it's a really, really, uh, ragged business that, you know, takes us in different ways and different turns and things like that. And it's okay, right? That sure. we just try to get a little bit better each time and, uh, you know, tell all the people that, uh, have locked up nutrients and, and things like that, where to go and what to do. With yeah. Them. Well, I'll just say this in closing <laughs> is that, is that I, I, I want to make, and I should have said this at the beginning, everybody's probably gone by this point, but I want to point well, out just because, <laughs> I, just because I have three letters behind my name and I've been doing research for ages or whatever, it doesn't mean I'm right. Okay. I, I want to make sure that's clear. There, there's doctors, yeah. there, there's people with high school degrees that are brilliant, brilliant people. I'm like, my God, how do you know all this stuff? And there's people with PhDs that are as dumb as a box of rocks. Okay. <laughs> so, 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 you know, Spicy. Th it's a pretty good chance that, you know, someone with a PhD or professor is a pretty good chance on their area of speciality. They're probably correct on many things, but I don't, I don't want people to walk away with saying, oh, Dr. Shattuck said this, so it must be right. Don't, don't do that. Okay. I, I'm wrong a lot. <laughs> okay. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I'm learning just like everybody else, you know, I, I'm, I'm learning and, and, um, and I, I would just ask everybody to, Consider the, consider that with everybody. Just just because someone said it on a YouTube channel or a presentation at a you know a turf conference, you know I wouldn't assume it's absolutely true. You know let's 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 ask. There's people. Well, if I give a talk on I give a talk and you hear me talking about weeds, Ryan, I can tell you right now I'm probably wrong. <laughs> so just go and go and go and talk to a weed specialist because hey, I heard Dr. Shack say there's people out there that specialize in these areas and call them up and ask them. Hey, I heard heard something about locked up nutrients. You know, don't ask. Uh, well, I'll use uh, I'll use Dr. Munshaw since him and I are buddies, and he'll he'll tell you. Don't ask Dr. Munshaw about that. He's not a soil scientist. He, ask Dr. Munshaw about plants and seed development and all these other. He's I don't know I don't know anything about that, but he's very good at that stuff. So. So find their speciality and reach out to those folks who are specialists in those areas and, um, and, and, you know, pick their brain a little bit. Don't, don't just assume that what, you know, what they said is correct simply because they have an advanced degree. 
I, I think that's that's a great point, and I'll I'll leave you with this. You said something at the beginning that struck me because I've taught uh, as an adjunct, you know, not a, not a assistant professor, not a full professor. And when you said that the difference between being a you know a PhD and being a professor are vastly different, and being a professor is much yeah. more difficult. Your last statement there reminded me of uh, probably the most uh, the, the the professor at Ohio State that pr probably inspired me the most to learn and be curious and do all that stuff. And I remember the very first day of class. His statement to us, uh, there was no syllabus. The syllabus was, I can write a test that you can fail, and you could write a test that I could fail. So yes, let's sir. respect each other's knowledge. Let's yeah. learn from each other because everybody has yeah. something to learn from the person next to them, and let's yeah. go about our business. And I, I, I think that's I, I, dead right. Absolutely right. I get mm -hmm. really humbled every time I assume something about somebody, and I'm like, oh, my God, I was completely wrong. There's, I grew, there's a story. I used to do a lot of extracurricular activities particularly with um, martial arts and stuff like that. And I mm -hmm. thought I was big and tough. And I was like, oh, da, da, da. and here comes this, at the time I was, I was 25 and he was 51. Here comes this little bitty 155 pound long haired surfer hippie dude comes in the dojo and he's like, hey man, I'm 155 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. Blah, blah, blah. You know, he's just you know, rattling off all these things. And I was like, who, oh, is, dear. This who is this goofball? Oh dear. Blah, 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 you know, and I had, I had been competing for years and you know, blah, blah, blah. I thought I was tough. I'm like, come on, let's roll around. Da, da, da. Dude, I was weighing 200 pounds. I was fighting at two, uh, 195, 200 pounds at a time. I was like, dude, wipe the floor with me. I was like, oh my God, this guy is crazy. Oops. And I, was, and I for my thing, I was like, don't, don't judge a book by its cover. These people who have advanced degrees, maybe they're brilliant, maybe they're not. People who have high school degrees, maybe they're brilliant, maybe they're not. You know, just, you know, be cautious. <laughs> don't, don't assume anything. You could be dead wrong. And I was dead wrong in that case. And he and I are still buddies to this. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dr. Shaddix, thank you so much for coming on. I, seriously, thank from you. the bottom of all our hearts, this has been uh, absolutely this one was, of our This has been a real pleasure. Great. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. You have a standing well, invitation. You. Go ahead. I was going to say, you asked me if yes. I enjoyed it. So you guys enjoyed it, I guess. I guess I don't have oh, to yeah. ask. Oh, oh, Listen, you, if I didn't you, have to you get up at five o'clock. private chat right now. Like a, a lot of the people that are that are in the YouTube comments, we, we I'd say a lot, not not all of them, but some of them. We have a private chat that's going on right now. And oh. Everybody's talking about how this is the best show we've ever done. So, oh, um, oh, well, good, anyway. good for you Legitimately. guys. And and that's <laughs> that's you know uh, four hundred and some odd hours of content you know rolled in there. So that's oh. that's a lot. And uh, again, wow. this is the kind of well, thing again. Uh, just people people enjoy hearing from people that uh, are inquisitive and people that are always searching for a better answer. And uh, I, uh, the one thing I was struck by. I think I even said it in the chat at one point was that, you know, uh, your questions are, are very precise and usually, uh, that's, that's a, a measure of somebody who's after the truth. So, uh, okay. I appreciate yeah. that. And, uh, well, I appreciate listen. too. I'll come back on and we'll talk about some nitrogen costs and nitrogen sources. Yes. And all sorts the blend, of uh, the fertilizer. Blending oh, yes. talk. I want to talk about that one. Oh, yeah. the nitrogen cost yeah. one's fun. Yeah, our the favorite, one you put out last year, our favorite subject. I mean, that, that is our, like our, our favorite subjects here actually the and, nitrogen uh, one the nitrogen cost or blending the nitrogen, rate? The nitrogen Both cost pretty yes, good. yes oh really okay pretty well, good but, the, but and then there you go the funny thing is is that prior to your work done on this i've already arrived at for my use case mm. i do better with instantly available end sources for with what oh, i'm doing yeah yeah We'll, we'll go down that road. wins for me. <laughs> yeah. We'll go down that road, and there's a whole interesting story behind that that I want to be able to get 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 at, at some point where the slow release versus soluble. 
again, one of those situations where I'm like, this can't be happening. This can't be happening. It's happening. It, it, this can't be true. It's true. Like, I'm like, we want to find all the trigger points. This is, this is going to be yeah. your therapy Dr. session. Shaddix? We're going we're gonna to tear all the band-aids Sorry. up and cover all the, all the wounds <laughs> on your turf grass Sorry, soul. Sorry, Dr. So, Shaddix, but and then, then dip me in nitric acid when we're done because, well, damn it, I, I, I deserve it. I figured that I figured that out for myself decades ago. Okay, uh, I figured well, that out. Can I get your phone number? Or something? <laughs> it's maybe. I want to know what else. I want to know what else that you know that I don't know. I'm about to go do a three year study on that you already know the answer to. Right, I'm know, going to forward you. I'm going to forward you Dr. Shaddix's uh, uh, contact information. I'll, I'll let you okay. two, uh, geek out on the next. <laughs> okay, All right. okay. We've got to right, here. We'll see everybody okay. on yeah. Sunday. Y'all have a good one. Bye. All right. Thank, Thank you, everybody. You. Love you guys. Good night. See you. <laughs>